Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. I'm Jennifer Albright. Tim is not with us tonight. Once again, there has been a flat refusal to discuss the movie Chosen. Uh, he's probably building Legos right now. But Talk in... about Death Wish 3 again. That's a great movie. <laughs> in his place, we have, we have a four-time champion returning to the show. Four-time? Yeah. Exciting. You're a, you're a, you get your four-time uh, challenge coin. You're a yeah. four-time victor. Uh, it is... Sean Morris. Sean, welcome back to oh. the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Jen. Hi, Tim. Um, <laughs> we're going to get some uh, some tacos and some uh, torta soon Fuck in town. <laughs> well, Tim's busy. Um, he's probably sorting like one by two plates right now or something. Yeah. So. Maybe bigger pieces than that, but <laughs> a likely guess. But, but, you know, more fun for us, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we got we got a we got a great tale of uh, knights in armor and oh wait there was no one in the the suit. <laughs> oh well. Tonight we can still talk about it though. Tonight we're talking about bright lights, big titties. No, it's bright lights, big titties. And I looked up the wrong movie. <laughs> Wait, 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 no, we're we're doing Bright Lights, Big City. I thought we were doing The Secret of My Success. <laughs> it's, it's the same movie, right? Because yes. I watched The Secret of My... Okay, I, no, I've never seen that movie to this. I didn't watch it even as research for this. I'll I watch think, it one day. I think, you know, um, I think your knowledge of Michael J. Fox movies is broader than mine. Um, okay. I intended to do a little further research on the uh, director... Of this movie, yeah, actually, the replacement director because I was has, like, "Oh, he did." Um, uh, he the did paper China- chase guy. Well, he did, yeah, and he did uh, China Syndrome. So I was like, "Oh, I should fucking watch China Syndrome," but I didn't get around to it. So. Uh, it's China Syndrome. <laughs> Forget it, Jen. It's China Syndrome. <laughs> I just remember it being a, a one-off, a, like a joke in uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Yeah, I, I, I saw it a long time ago. I mean, you can watch it; it's very good. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine. Like it's um, like in its in its era, it's part of the canon. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Bright James Lights, Richards? Big City, because we've been meaning to talk about this movie for several months and couldn't quite work out the scheduling. But we had to have mm-hmm. Sean back because you had to. I just had a feeling that you would be perfect to talk about this movie. So do you want to tell us what it's all about? No, I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bright Lights Big City is based on the J. It's McInery. Is that how it's pronounced? McInery. That guy who was in the literary Brat Pack with Brett Easton Ellis and is of that era. Who nobody remembers. It is the same Ovra. Yeah, what was her book? She wrote. Um. Oh my God, what was that? Um. Some movie. Some. Uh, it was something about New York. Uh, the hell you say? And it was like lipstick on the cover. Yeah. <laughs> it was um, the title is written in lipstick. It probably wasn't. 
It was called. Uh, I gotta look it up. That yeah, that's we 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 dug a little too deep, Laura. We've gone too far. Slaves of New York. Oh man. Like which also was adapted oh, for that the screen movie. and flopped, much like the movie we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I did not episode. see the movie, but I know the book. Oh, you've read it? Because I was a nerd then. Yeah, I read the book back then. I was such a book nerd. <laughs> <laughs> this little kid reading Slaves. I wasn't. I was like twelve or thirteen. Still, <laughs> I have not seen this movie, but it did give us. Um, didn't this give us Buffalo Stance? It did. It Nina did. Cherry Buffalo Stance. So Slaves of New York is important for that. You should, I mean, you let me know how it is. So uh, flop movies with kind of banging soundtracks. Is kind mm-hmm. of it's a theme. There you go. We will go in depth talking about the soundtrack because that's a particular field of expertise for Sean. Yeah. I will. And I've uh, not um, read this book. You haven't read Bright Lights, Big City. Nope. I read it and um, I remember when I got it from the library, I think I texted you a picture of the cover and I was like, I'm going to hate this, aren't I? And then I ended up, actually enjoying it like it's not bad the writing is engaging is yeah. the thing about that that that's why like i said i read slaves in new york i read some brady's and else the reading those books and just knowing that they're artifacts of that time is very it's entertaining they're zippy yeah i guess we can can we kind of define the literary brat pack for the that's audience the like how would you describe that particular genre so to speak um 80s cokehead dickhead fiction. Yeah, kind of, you know, enervated, um, lost souls doing lots of drugs mm-hmm. and Yeah. Um, I guess another the example lost would weekend be with cocaine, which is actually kind of how they marketed this movie. Or yeah, tried to without... sell this movie to the studio. Lost weekend, but cocaine. Yeah, without much success really. Um, well, because co- you we can't put the cocaine in it, you say? Uh-oh. Yeah. The, and, and this didn't exactly end up being like a, a great like Ray Milan type role for Michael J. Fox. But oh. but suffice to say, like, you know, you had books coming out of time like this. You had Less Than Zero, um, you know, kind and of. And they were like, we can, we can strike while that iron's hot. Yeah. And this is in very emblematic of a kind of giddy capitalist Time. Mm-hmm. It was this celebratory time. Yeah, like everybody, everybody was making shitloads of money in New York City, and they were spending it on what they call Colombian marching powder. Yeah, and also, think, did Mick and Ernie like coin that, or did he get that from somewhere? Colombian marching powder. Um, it probably was something that was going around. Probably. He might have been the first person to write it down. Yeah, he was like, "Ooh, that's good. I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that in my thinly veiled." Autobiograph- autobiographical Maybe we'll learn how to pronounce his name by the end of this. <laughs> J. Mac. We'll just call him J. Mac. J. Mac I. And I don't think that, um, speaking of, I um, much like his uh, contemporaries in that literary movement of the time, I don't think that he ever quite captured the kind of momentum and enthusiasm that, that surrounded his first novel, which was Bright Lights, Big City. Yeah. Um, I guess there are worse things than like writing one really great book and then never mm-hmm. quite living up to it. But his other big thing was he wrote the screenplay for Angelina Jolie's breakout uh, performance, which is Gia, the TV. Oh, movie. he wrote the screenplay for Gia. He did, and that was much better. Oh well, shit. He really nailed that. Ah, fuck! I should have watched that, that instead. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. 
Ugh. You've seen that before, right? I fucked up, Sean. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. So good. It was like, oh, yeah, she's going places. You saw that movie? You're like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. going down. If that had come out in theaters, she probably would have won the Oscar for that instead of a movie no one wants to watch anymore. Oh, yeah. Oh, and... Uh, um, Pushington, I mean. <laughs> Pushington. I love Pushington. I love <laughs> If you say Tim, let's do Pushington, he will become, he will be like, oh, let's do it. Oh God, that's back when she was fucking Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. Oh, that was wild. She was smoking hot. There were like pictures of them in Rolling Stone, and like touching she, their tongues together. <laughs> I believe Gia was before she kissed her brother at the award show, <laughs> and the girl interrupted was after she kissed her brother at the award show. So yeah, that's Billy Bob Thornton. And then her brother was like nannying her kids that she had with brad pitt mm-hmm. and he was like, mm-hmm. became born again or something yeah it's a, it's it's a tangled tangled web oh damn but i wish we could go down that good ass movie yeah well i wish we could go down that uh rabbit hole but as it is um wow. as i said in the beginning um you'll notice so you that well you you guys will notice that i said um tim opted out of the discussion of the film it was because he believed that it was pretty bland and worthless and like you know he's not wrong but i thought that sean and i could extract some value from it yeah um also did a fuck of a lot of research and like i just didn't want to waste any of it so um, there's some good research yeah i mean and the movie itself is kind of research like the things surrounding the movie and the other things that you can get out of the making of the movie are kind of it's like of a piece well, yeah, and what is... And watching the movie is kind of dusty. So, you know, you could read the book or watch the movie. I do recommend the book. It's a it's a, it's a a breezy read, and it's kind of an interesting yeah, they're all capsule. zippy. Maybe I will read the book finally. Yeah, it's like... Um, in fact, I got it on uh, the library app Libby, um, mm-hmm. where you can, you can uh, oh. borrow e-books from, if you have a, a library card. And there are oh, yeah. libraries that you can, because I have one for my local library and for the Los Angeles Public Library, which is great. So As, as my family creed goes, you read, you know. <laughs> exactly. Take that with you, everyone. And um, so recommend the book. Um, the movie is actually pretty freely available. Um, I watched it on Roku and didn't even have to pay for it. It's yeah, if it's free. on like a, it's on the Roku channel where you like if you click on it, the movie starts playing and there's commercials in it, but it's free. I, it's like what channel I never heard of. It's a, uh, it's very quaint. It's like yeah. it's like kind of like, like it's called like Spackle or something like that. <laughs> it's a very tinkle. simple thing. <laughs> Open your Tinkle app and. Um, <laughs> No, and it is a very quaint experience because this is kind of an ideal movie for just kind of like, um, you know, Let with the flowering of the cable market mm. in the in the 80s, you know, you had this need for like content to fill those like 24 hour day parts. So there yeah. were all these like shitty movies just getting dumped to cable. And the experience of watching this movie on the Roku with like weirdly interposed the, ads at yeah. odd times is very much like just watching it on like the super station or whatever. Yeah, I guess the the closest thing you get to that now is a straight to red box movie. But yeah. even those you don't have commercials, so you just put it in and it's like watching it you just got a DVD. But no, this is like you have to watch the movie and the commercials have to play. Yeah. But you're going to get to watch the movie. It's like UHF. <laughs> it's UHF streaming. And there's no wheel of fish though. Um Unfortunately. I've been 
staring at the Wikipedia page, and I really just want to say how much I hate Really? Because I think I'm on the wrong movie, and I'm still on the Greedy page. And I was like, ooh, directed by Jonathan Lynn, my cousin Vinny. So, yeah, let me... Okay, we were talking about ahead. better movies before. But, no, I've been staring... <laughs> I've been staring at the poster, and it's like, I hate this poster. Like, I feel like, I'm like, this poster is why this fucking movie well, flopped. The poster looks like an album cover for an album I do not want to buy. Well, it would look, I mean, the concept is cool, but then because it's a Michael J. Fox movie, and one where they were afraid to give their popular young star any kind of edge whatsoever so yeah. in the poster he's just kind of looking quizzically into the camera and that like oh um, it's gosh, just an like, michael I'm j fox grin me. but i'm being mischievous this it's the exact same face he makes on the teen wolf cover on the teen wolf poster <laughs> like yeah you're not teen wolf again how are you making the same face yeah like the kind of like wry like quirk guess what i'm gonna do yeah the right turn to a werewolf up. again uh-uh yeah, like he's doing the wry kind of like quirked back corner of the mouth thing, and like it. I'm like nobody would go see this movie. They'd be like, "What is this? This looks like shit." Yeah. Like no, no indication that it's about a uh, a guy whose life is basically falling apart around him. It's like <laughs> it's, I'm it's, in the city. It's a little too good. That's why. That's why. Like I joked in the beginning, that I thought the movie when I was a kid when this movie was out, I thought it was com I completely did not discern the difference between. I thought it was the secret of my success. I thought it was yeah. another silly Michael J. Fox trying to make it in the city comedy, and then I was like, "Oh, you mean we can't go see this one?" But we saw all the other Michael J. Like, no, you cannot see. Like, why? Well, my my mom, who's as I said, I was a big nerd, but she's like, I didn't like that book. Okay. Like, that was her actual answer. Like, I'm not watching that movie. And she watched <laughs> it, and she was like, yeah, I didn't like that book. I don't like that movie. So she just, just waved it off. Honestly, good for her. But, like, but yeah, and um, Michael J. Fox being such a phenomenal success in the 80s and such a... Yeah, you got to strike while iron's hot here. Yeah, he was a beloved, clean-cut star. Um, he was known from TV. He had... Was Alex P. Keaton playing? Was he age appropriate at that point? How old would Alex P. Keaton have been in the show? I don't remember. I don't really have a conception. The show was he was. I think he was in college during the yeah. show. He so like, he still would have been playing younger than he actually was. But he was in his twenties. Yeah, playing like a dickhead college Republican with oh nice yeah hippie parents. And then you know, obviously, we all know that he did Back to the Future, which was is one of the biggest comedies comedies of the eighties. And Classic. he, as we all know, you know, because it's fucking Michael J. Fox. You know, he has a very likable presence. He's the um, affable he, everyman. He always has, even when he's like making a serious straight face. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> not in a mocking way, but in like a, you know. Yeah, he's you know he's non-threatening. He's yeah, like, he's has a turn for for uh, comedy. Um, just a guy he's that you easy like. Going, he's easy going. Yeah, just a guy that you like on camera. Now, um, the book again is about you know a clean-cut young guy, but one who is falling into despair and drug use. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that. I don't think that they quite took the right approach with it. It could have been very interesting casting Michael J. Fox if they yeah. had let the movie have any edge whatsoever. The movie was kind of screwed coming and going. 
It really was. Be- yeah, I mean, there's a whole sort. I mean, do you want to go into the history of the production first, or do you just want to go into the movie first? But there, this movie got screwed so many ways. It really did. I can talk a little bit about the production, because that was what I did find interesting about the film, much more so this than the a film lot itself. of There was a lot going on there. Yeah, um, so this book, uh, because it was very popular, got optioned, and um, they were... Pretty much right when it, the book was a hit, right? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like... It was supposed to come out, they were supposed to film it right away. Yeah, and this would have been like, what, like 80, geez, 1984 or so. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're like, hey, we got a hot, uh, a hot. Yeah, this is, it was like the crest of four more years. So it would have been like more hedonism. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is um, why the book was a big deal. Yeah. So, you know, right time, like you said, Struck While the Iron is Hot, you got like a, a hot young book and a hot young star. Sidney Pollack was was producing. Um, mm. And initially, uh, the director... No, the... Go ahead. You said you know the director. I was going to say what you were about to say. Go ahead. Right, 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 yeah. Um, the director that they got initially was a woman named Joyce Chopra, who had... Um, she had a theater background, and she had also kind of had a hot ticket with a movie called Smooth Talk starring Laura Dern. Yes, it's a very interesting project. Yeah, which is based on the Joyce Carol Oates story. uh, What's that story called? Where are you going? Where have you been or whatever? Yes, which was inspired by some uh, actual mass murders that occurred in Texas some decades before that. Yeah, it's a a story kind of about the... It's a coming-of-age allegory with very dark... Yeah, like a young woman's coming of age with all, literally all that. Mm -hmm. um, Some sex and some danger. Yes, danger is very much a part of it. A lot of danger. Yeah, so um, she got some Did the characters have last names in that? They were kind of like portmanteaus or like code names. Wasn't it, uh, I think the Treat Williams character in the movie was named like something, they called him a friend, but his name was actually like, Arnold, Albert or Arnold. Arnold friend, yeah. I think. Eight friend. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like, I'm a friend. Yeah. Yeah, Uh-oh. I get it. <laughs> I should see that's very, I haven't seen anything Laura Dern did when she was that young. So I hear that it was really good. Like, yeah, and it's like, it's like Laura Dern at a very young age. And, you know, she also got a lot of positive notice for it. Right. Um, this was back when she was still Diane Ladd's daughter, right. <laughs> not Laura Dern. Yeah, um, some teenager. Yeah, exactly. And she's about to win an Oscar, isn't she? I think so. Well, good for her. Too bad it's not all it never is. That's how the Oscars go. You get the right person, but it's always the wrong moment. <laughs> exactly. But um, but yeah. So uh, Laura Dern had some heat from that, and then Joyce Chopra came to the producers' attentions on Bright Lights, Big City, and they thought, you know, hey, let's let's get her. Mm-hmm. Um, it did not end up going well at all. Um, it's a bad, I'm not really, there's not, it's not, there's so many things that I can read from what happened, but there's, no one's really come out and said exactly what went on. Yeah, and I think It because... seems like the short, to long, short term of it was Joyce Chopra and Sidney Pollack never were on the same terms when Didn't they came to, what, yeah, at all. They just disagreed. But also... The studio that owned what studio was it? Uh, this was United this Artists. UA. Yeah. Told when that still Sydney Pollock to take the cocaine out, 
Or can you cut down on the cocaine? Because we can't have Michael J. Fox doing cocaine in a movie. And there is the rub. <laughs> that and they're is like, the okay, problem. now write the script. Like, excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. You mean take the movie about people hanging out and doing drugs, take the drugs out of it? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe if Darren Aronofsky was alive then, he would have said, okay, what you do is you take a shot of a pill bottle really fast, and you take a shot of your hand over the pill bottle really fast, <laughs> and then you take a shot of like your hand over your nose really fast and do it in jump cuts, and then they won't know what you're taking, but he was like a child then. or however. Can you imagine like uh, a scene of Michael J. Fox and uh, Kiefer Sutherland going ass to ass? <laughs> <laughs> or taking that drill to the skull yeah this um the, the industry was not ready no, for this fucking was, movie um, he was a teenager then he would have been still in school who darren aronofsky would have been in high yeah, school but um but yeah the, the industry was not ready for this movie um they didn't want to engage kind of with the meat of the story and like you they can't... wanted Michael J. Fox to keep his wholesome G. Willikers, Alex P. Keaton image. Because yeah. he was a throb. Yeah. I mean, maybe they thought, like, they were like, oh, there's a funny scene with a ferret in it. Like, he'll put that across. <laughs> like, can we put more animals in there instead? I don't know. Did they have, since we don't know, they threw everything away. So we don't know what was actually in... I'm sure one can dig up the script somewhere, but what, I don't know if they were just not doing cocaine or if they were actually replaced it with something like they just drank more or they were like, I'm going outside to smoke cigarettes. Yeah, because I think like um, cooler heads prevailed and there is drug usage in the movie. There's crowding it's into bathroom stalls and, you know. They do show what you do when you go to the bathroom and do drugs, but it's not that much. Yeah, like it. Well, some of the characters, like some of the characters, like the main character, which is a problem, don't do it that much and don't seem to know how to act if they're on it. Right. Which is kind of wild for people in Hollywood in the eighties. It's like you guys like, you don't just, know about cocaine. Just ask anyone around you. Yeah. How it is. Like you don't have to do it. Just ask someone standing next to you. Like so they probably can tell you. Like you're gonna tell me that Kiefer Sutherland doesn't know how to party. Well, Kiefer Sutherland did know how to party. I'd he was probably it. the best at being high. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, his yeah. uh, his character's name is Tad, Tad Allagash, probably because he gets all the gash. He gets all the gash. <laughs> all of it. All but, the... Yeah. But yeah, basically just kind of a shitty, superficial yuppie who's the friend. Yeah, the, 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 the one that was really where I really, he really dug in for for the... The kid, which still seems extreme to me, but I guess that's what you did when you were young and um, had no inhibitions. Is he walks in and he's like, "Yeah, sorry, I ain't got none right now." He's like, "You, you kidding me? This probably the dust in this place still has somebody like takes his finger, like licks his finger, like rubs it over the um, mantelpiece, and then rubs it in his teeth." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, he's like rubbing on the mirrors that's, and stuff like that. That's legit. Yeah. That's legit activity. Yeah. So that that's that's true to life. But and yeah. yeah, so they did they did put back the drug use in the later script, <laughs> but um so there was that, but they but they fired their first director. I think that um her one of her longtime collaborator was her husband. Was her I husband. Think they, yeah, they collaborated in a lot of theater projects. Yes. Um They and, ended up doing T V together, so Yeah. They and, did all 
which I take to indicate that she probably ended up with a pretty lucrative career because you can yes. you can pull down some coin during well, TV. a lot of TV movies and TV uh, programs. Yeah, so good for her. I mean, maybe, and I, I would it would not surprise me if this entire experience like just soured her on. Well, she did one movie sisters. after this. She did the Lemon Sisters, and she was like, "I'm working with uh, yes, Lemon Sisters are doing it for themselves." It was like. <laughs> Uh, Diane Keaton and Carol Kane. She's like, I won't be protected this time. Yeah, it's, and it's kind of like and, a, uh, I don't know. It's a touching coming of age story. But it's well, it's like a wacky like, uh, wacky like girls. Like they have like a. It's like. Is it? I thought it was like a drama. I actually don't know. I thought it was a comedy. Oh, it says comedy drama. Am I just assuming because Diane? It also Keaton says Weinstein. Oh. Good. Well, that soured on the industry for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was hard watching Rage in Harlem. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, suffice to say, like, she didn't stay in the um, really stay in the movie industry. She went on to TV directing. Uh, the problem on this movie is that um, the way that other people tell it is. Do you that... want me to before we continue? Do you want Do you want me to tell you the sentence long synopsis of the Lemon Sisters? Please we do. can laugh and move along. Please do. Three lifelong friends work the bars in 1980s Atlantic City, performing the songs of the 1960s girl groups. Oh. <laughs> no wonder nobody saw that. I think, <laughs> and I think it was shelved for like a couple of years too. Like it didn't even, it, like they shot it and then it just, it like didn't come out. So for a couple yeah, of years again, you're screwed coming and going. Pretty much. So, so they said this is just a bad idea. This yeah. that was a bad idea. Anyway. But yeah, so um uh but the director that um when she was working on Bright Lights Big City, um she was uh the uh producers believed that she was uh spending too much time um kind of like fo- fooling around with like setups and location stuff. Like she mm-hmm. um it was kind of like relying on her uh, you know, it sounds it sounds awful to say she was relying on her husband a lot, and I, like I want to emphasize, like as a well, they were working partner. as a team. Yeah, it was a, yeah. they were creative partners, and I believe they also the um, she wrote the script. She was they also had a third person that was with them, right? I don't recall in their creative team. I think so. Someone else that was in like there was like three of them that were it was her, her husband, and someone else, and yeah. they all got the boot for creative differences. Yeah. Like, um, they were spending a lot of time kind of, um, they did a lot of like establishing shots. Yeah. And there were shots of people walking around New York at night. And it's what you call, Oh, and it's, that's what you call shoe leather. Mm -hmm. And, um, I believe that sardonic shirts with the expression shoe leather were made by people. Yeah. That was true. Yeah. That was kind of mean. If you read contemporary accounts, of the production of this movie and they are out there because it was kind of famously troubled. Um, yeah. It really does come off as mean. Like the crew just and they didn't even seem actually to like in the interview much. they said this shouldn't even be a, a a picture of what was the shoe leather logo or whatever it was. Yeah. They said this should just be a picture of Joyce in here and it was like the no with like a circle and a line through it. Yeah. It should, it should just be her face on this. So yeah. they would have been meaner if they could have. Yeah, like the you get the impression the crew just didn't like her, like agree with any of her creative choices, like the produ- the producers didn't either, and so they were like, "Well, forget it." Like, you know, and and this was and they always blame the director, but in this case, it was very like since I guess there were it was a husband and wife team, they kind of 
gave them extra shit about it. Yeah, and that's funny because um, this became, this turned into um, why are women directors getting fired? And um, to the point where there was an article about it, like a contemporary article in the New York Times, because it's like Joyce Chopra got fired from Bright Lights Big City. Um, they were making, um, it was a movie that ended up being directed by Savage Steve Holland, um, How I Got Into College. I just saw that movie last month. It was on late night cable. There you go. Like it came out and flopped. Um, Initially, it had started with a female director, but they fired her. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, We had a bit of an audio blip. My computer took a shit thanks to a kernel panic, but uh, we our half hour of audio that we recorded is good. So we can just pick up where we left off. So we were talking about, basically we were talking about this phenomenon in the the 80s around the time of Bright Lights Big City and its production where um, women directors were just being fired right and left. Um, Mm -hmm. Another one being... It was a trend. Yeah, another one being Jan Eliasberg on um, How I Got Into College. She was replaced with Savage Steve Holland. The movie's still a mess. Yeah, the movie came out and flopped. Um, Even Savage Steve Holland couldn't save it. Save it. Save it. And we're, uh, you know, we stand on this podcast, so, you know, yeah. sad, really. But, um, point being, um, their first the choice... The other one was um, Elaine May, I think we said? Yes, Elaine May on Ishtar, of course. That's this probably... Sure the up. Yeah, that's probably the most famous example of a female director having production problems in the, the, late, mm-hmm. uh, the late 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they didn't really they kind of for in her case they kind of just let her go and do what she wanted and then they're like we don't like this yeah whereas in this case didn't uh sydney pollock and uh the other they literally flew out and like stood around with like frowns on their faces as they filmed which as we all know is a really great way to work mm-hmm. you know especially when it's you're making creative booster. yeah when you're making creative decisions like i find that i work much better with uh some old guy like frowning down at the back of my neck. Yeah. So you know, didn't have that problem. But we'll get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep talking about the movie. But yeah, so um, suffice to say, troubled production, and um, they booted Joyce Chopra and her um kind of uh, you know, production team. You know, she was working with her, her husband, her was playwright the husband. Yeah, she wrote the script, right? I th- I think she took a crack at it. And then, yeah, and so I think as she was writing it with, I think whoever was writing it with her, yeah, was also fired. And what they ended up with eventually was something which pretty much just follows the book with yeah. no real diversion from the material. Well, they filmed it in like what was it, thirty six days? Yeah, because um, like bang bang, I won't say okay, I'll say it one more time, bang bang Niner Gang, but it was just like in and out. Um, yes. Finish the movie, just do the movie, start the movie, finish the movie. And he was known for doing, he was, that's what he was known for. Right. Was that he could bring a movie in on time. Yeah, and, so, but. And, uh, yeah, and you know, you understand. Well, there were a lot of things going on during that time period. Like, aside from, like, them wanting to take the drugs out because of Just Say No. <laughs> Which was very big at the time, in spite of and the that, fact and, and, that everybody and they was made on Hollywood. TV. They made Hollywood take part, like, Nancy Reagan would go on TV shows and she would get to do her little spiel with Arnold from Different Strokes or whoever. Yeah. So they wanted a suit. 
And there's a photograph I always think of, which is her like sitting on Mr. T's lap and kissing him on That's the head. The one that we all remember. Yeah. <laughs> which strange, uh, strange bedfellows. Um, the famously warm Nancy Reagan, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. just a really great person. But anyway, um, so the other thing that happened during then was there was a threat of a DGA strike. Did I'm you really want to go into that? I brought that up because... Because um, that's big. The yes. strike that didn't happen, but they thought was going to happen. Yeah, I think... Um, did, did it, did it like, last for, like, ten minutes, or did they call it... Yeah, no, there were, there, were, there were rumblings. Yeah. And then I think they fought back, and then probably this was... I'm guessing, since they were... Um, not working on the picture much longer. I'm guessing they were probably not on the same side as them regarding the strike as well. Probably not. Or which side of the... Like, if there had been a strike, they probably would have kept filming the movie anyway. So, like, who can we get? I mean, the official statements, as we know from the 80s, they they cleaned it up badly by saying, we need a more experienced hand. A hack. With Yes, we need a more experienced hand with the threat of the strike looming. Right. So, yeah, that, which probably, that, that does probably play a little better than, like, we, you know, it, it sounds it sounds dumb to say because you can genuinely have creative differences with a person, you know, regardless of their gender. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's entirely possible that she was, that Joyce Chopra was making just decisions that didn't work well with the material or whatever. Or she wasn't working as efficiently as they would have as they would have liked because while filmmaking is an art, it is also a it's also a business, and you know there's a need to get things finished on time, and like the, yeah. the strike didn't really help. But you know it does kind of play badly um, to to be like, well, we had a woman director, but you know, we fired her because mm-hmm. man, she just couldn't she just couldn't yeah, do it, they're... folks. There's a real asshole way of doing it, but it's ceremonious and it's entrenched. Yeah. And sure. it, it's, it's a it like a, there's a veneer of professionalism, but it's also condescension <laughs> and it's also just we don't believe you. Yeah, and we I mean, <laughs> I, mean we, we... I mean Hollywood gossip wasn't the big business it is now. Like back then, like it was just something that showed up in the trade papers. There weren't like around the clock TV shows about who's getting cast in a movie or who got fired from the movie. It was literally just in the trade papers and then you wouldn't hear about it. Yeah, this is this is the kind of story which probably didn't make much impact beyond like the L.A. Times and the trades. And they were all they were all separate from enough from each other that it didn't seem like it was a pattern. But now you look at it and like, well, come on. Yeah, like. And it it does kind of seem like, um, you know, Hollywood kind of like dipped its toe in where it's like, you know, we want to bring in like different diverse voices. So we're going to give some women filmmakers a shot. And then they just lost their nerve. Yeah. And her in in Chopra's case, her movie was well received. It was an independent movie, which in the 80s, I mean, it was she that means she was on the ground floor Mm -hmm. of independent filmmaking. If she made a well received independent movie, Mm -hmm. it got a lot of notice. So they gave her however much millions they gave her they give you at the time. Yeah. The the previous movie was like a five figure budget or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it's nothing. But this one was, you know, it's a multi million dollar project. Yes. And 
she was filming it like uh, she wanted to film it, which I'm sure was going to be in that same gritty indie way as like Smooth Talk. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm filming my movie. And I'm like, this isn't the movie we want. Yeah, which, it, I mean, it does beg the question of, like, what they wanted. And if it was something... They were they were tied behind their backs in two separate directions that weren't complimentary. They were tied behind their backs because they had this wholesome star who they didn't want to sell you his clean-cut, pretty boy... Um, fascist image <laughs> i mean he wasn't just like a he was like a, a, a asshole on that show but he was supposed to be funny because yeah. he was a, like a rebellious but he was an asshole yeah just to say shitty Keat was an asshole he's lucky can, he's lucky marty mcfly came on or we dissociated with this asshole forever <laughs> but at the rude. time we thought oh it's so funny but alex is an asshole let's just say it well, it was it was a re- it was a reactionary decade, and you know, there's always and they were winning. So yeah, they're gonna they're gonna put them. They're winning, and they're gonna put themselves in the TV shows. Like I don't want a character that looks like me. And there is there is something about like kind of I mean, who doesn't like sticking it to hippies? I mean, like you look at like Alex P. Keaton's uh-huh. parents and like the and Yeah, they were pretty goofy. Yeah, and even like at the time, like, you know, of course it's it's thrown into much sharper relief like a further thirty years on, but like looking back you know, at like, the the get a shower, you be get, get a job, shave your hair. Yeah, but like looking back at the failure of the peace movement and the hippie movement and you know how all that just kind of curled into like the human potential movement and like little gold coke spoons and jacuzzis it's like yeah you know these people probably deserve to have fun poked at them (laughs) you know just it 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 kind of it kind of sucks coming from you know this snotty little brat in a tie you know who loves Mm. william f buckley or whatever but (sighs) that was the 80s for you it was the era of reagan it sucked it was he was, and he was a symbol. Of, he was a big, bright, shining symbol of it. Luckily, he also was Marty McFly. So, yeah. Survived. So Michael Fox endures. Yeah. So you know, um, good, good, good for him. <laughs> good um, for Michael J. Fox. But you, even before Michael J. Fox, you know who they, um, <laughs> who had first refusal. Our Ooh. other favorite wee man of Hollywood, Tom Cruise. Oh my God. That? Yeah, at first when it was originally done. And Emilio Estevez was going to adapt it. And I think they had a different director who didn't. Mm-hmm. Joel Schumacher. And like they, they all passed. Schumacher might... I think they did some scouts. and But it, it fell apart. Schumacher might have made this interesting. Well, that's when... Yeah, he was still like... Gritty Schumacher. He was doing shoe leather Schumacher. <laughs> so he might have done some cool shots. No, like he had good shoe leather. Like uh like a filmmaker with like a really kind of like outrageous gay aesthetic. Like, can you imagine if he mm-hmm. brought like Batman and Robin? And he would have got the clubs a lot better. Oh, I mean, you got yeah. these old white men telling you what an 80s nightclub looked like. I remember the opening scene. I was like, okay, yeah, it's a club, and they're playing the right music, but there's not that many people. It's not that wild or sweaty and dance floor, and the light colors are terrible. It looks really Like, sterile. imagine if they had Batman and Robin's light color, like the red <laughs> yeah. or the skating rink. Like, they had that color, like, flashing in the nightclub. Like, that would have been accurate. Yeah, Jamie Conway hanging out with Sugar and Spice. 
Yeah. Oh, hell it's yeah. like ice skating. You're going to go Fox and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger could have been in it. It's Missy could have said ice to see you. But instead, he's like the bouncer instead of like a, a villain. He could have said ice to see you, and they could have done That's a different movie. But Joel Schumacher was gritty then, and he probably would have given you a better side of New York other than what these old men think that like they're, the young people are doing in the club. Like yeah, they're trying to find a woman to take home with them. Yeah, and a really and not succeeding. And a really illustrative kind of anecdote about the movie, and like, forgive me for not remembering who actually said it, but um, I I think in the period when they were kind of flailing around looking for a replacement director, um, God, it might even have been. I don't. I want to say that it was McInerney, but it might have been somebody else associated with the production, it and they been were like. Sydney Pollack. Yeah, the, uh, whoever it was said, well, we don't want it to just look like a music video. And it's right. like, okay, well, so you don't want something contemporary and exciting, which evokes the time in yeah. a really And the age way. group. God yeah, forbid. You, like, <laughs> if you want people that look like this to go see it, you should probably reflect what they're consuming. Yeah, but, you know, I, and... That is such a. What was the light? The lights were like green. It was a lot of greens and browns. I feel like um, I just Very remember it looking. I just remember everything looking frosty and sterile. That's just how. That's how yeah. my mind remembers it. Like, yeah, that's not what they. I mean. I mean, like you do. It, it I, wasn't like there weren't already club movies being put out of people like filming hip hop clubs and dance clubs. Like Madonna made. Three movies where they just went in a club just so they could film Madonna in a club. Yeah. I don't even think they changed anything. They're like, let's just go in this club and film. They didn't even change anything. Like, this is what it looks like. Yeah. Like, just go in a club. It's like but they you guys, just film like a warehouse. It's yeah, like an empty loft or something. Yeah, it's like you guys are in New York. It's like you didn't, like, go to Danceteria, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, there. It's... It just, it they could even have like did an ep- They could have gone on stage at Solid Gold. The lighting would have been better. <laughs> Star Search lighting, anything. But I don't know if um, did we even name the replacement director yet? Have we mentioned uh, the paper chase guy? Yeah, we, we called him the paper chase. Oh yeah, because we talked about China <laughs> the, Syndrome. China Syndrome guy, James Bridges. Yeah, um, and I believe this was his last film. It was. He was getting up. Like I said. They 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 wanted the the story of um young rebels or young uh wannabe rebels mm-hmm. who just went in the clubs and did coke to be um he actually wasn't that old but he did die at fifty seven I believe okay I mean still he's a fifty year old man mm-hmm. yeah at the time yeah. And they're like yeah do this movie about some drugged out twenty uh, somethings in New York yeah. We just need to bang it out, bang it out for us. Yeah. So, you know, this probably wasn't an aesthetic choice so much as like the dependable choice to get your movie out. Yeah, they just want it made and done. Yeah. Um, On schedule. But, oh man, it really does not help. Like, oh. there's just something stiff about the film and it, but like, the, it never um, recovers from it. it the Mac and Ernie, is it Mac and Ernie? That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Well, st- well, J Mac. <laughs> Mac and Ernie. McKinnerney. <laughs> J Mac. Um, he was still involved, so he was able to get like the store like the bare bones of the story uh, is still there. 
So they hit all the the spots. Yeah, and like he was like he was going to the set and like palling around yeah. with Michael J. Fox and just being a cool yeah. guy. I mean, that's all really all he wanted. He wanted to be like, I get my movie made. I'm schmoozing. Yeah, exactly. He's like, they're filming my life, but really, like he he got to live it, but we didn't get to really see it on film. But he probably didn't get to see it in his head because it was happening. Like, he saw the cameras and, like, there's flashing lights. And he's like, who's getting them? Ooh, I'm getting a song from Depeche Mode. All right. <laughs> he probably was He was living it up. Yeah. Just imagine, like, just go down the list. I got Jason Robarts is coming in. And um, <laughs> he kind of just went to parties after that filming and would just name drop. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, that's. He did it. That's the that's that's the feel, and this is kind of what was being, you know, sought out by these people at the time. It's like every like the most famous people with the best drugs, and you yeah. know, then you know you've made it. He just wanted to hang out. Yeah. So, but suffice to say that James Bridges, you know, actually got the film made, and uh, it came out and did nothing. Um, and there's... No, it did not make its budget back. No, and I mean, which was more of a big deal than even though it was less money. But like, if you didn't make your ten twenty million back, they were mad at you in the eighties. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like and... now, like your twenty million dollar movie does makes like breaks. You're like whatever. Your forty million dollar movie makes thirty million. Like it's fine. We'll put it in a red box. But <laughs> they were like, it did not make its twenty whatever million. Was it twenty five? They were uh, mad. Yeah, something like, like that. Twenty five million. What's wrong with you? Couldn't make yeah. twenty five million <laughs> with Michael J. Fox. Yeah, what's wrong with you? Yeah, they're mad. Yeah, um, and and I don't think the soundtrack made that money. It was successful because it's banging, but um, it didn't make the money back. It's not gonna help. No, and it's not like this became like a, a cult film or anything like that. It's just not. It? It's just not that interesting. Yeah, how could it? Other than if you like read the book and like now I want to see what they did. And you're like, oh, this is. Yeah, or you, you're just like, wow, this just slavishly follows the book and doesn't really bring anything new to it. Yeah, I got something disturbing that I found on our break. Did you know there was a musical? Oh, that's right. This actually was adapted to. It came out in the 1999, and they actually produced it again in 2010. Uh, the original recording: Patrick Wilson, Christine Eversole, Jesse L. Martin. Sharon Leal. She can sing? <laughs> I wonder, like Sharon Leal. I wonder if it's any good. Probably not. Probably not. Because they predated a cast recording. Looks like off-Broadway. Mm. And, and they didn't do it again until UK in 2010. Can't so probably not. Uh... Oh, well. <laughs> but yeah, I was clicking on things, and I'm like, what do they mean, show? <laughs> Yikes. But yeah, so suffice to say, this movie hasn't really had a a second life. No, but the soundtrack <laughs> is banging. Do you want to talk about the soundtrack a little? Um, yeah, it's banging, and <laughs> that's that's it. No. Um, I my original connection with even knowing the movie existed is in, and I sh- probably should have. This is bad, but I watched this video so much when I was a kid that I should have just checked the video out one more time before we did this. But my first inkling that there was a movie called Bright Lights the City coming out was VH1. Back when VH1 was, um, let's see. VH1 was Facebook and MTV was Twitter. <laughs> so like all the content that's too cool 
or that they or wasn't cool anymore was for the parents was on VH1. And they played and Brian he wasn't even that old, but it was still like, oh he's it's he had his time. So his video for the song Kiss and Tell. Brian Ferry. Yes. Was the first single, and I saw the videos on VH1 all the time. I don't think MCV played it. They might have, but it was more of a adult sophista pop. Are you kidding me? It was big on VH1, and it actually had the colors the movie should have had. It had like the little uh, lavender and the neon blue, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, like the the models were like had the long flowing hair and lips, and it was, yeah, it was like a Robert Palmer video. He kind of had the disheveled. He was like, a, he had the suit on, but it was kind of wasn't really. His hair was a little greasy, you know, unkempt. It was the good. It was a good uh, setting. Well, that was Brian Ferry's that... thing. Like both during Roxy Music and during his solo careers, he always got like sexy models. Uh, both. Oh to yeah. Putting his videos into date. This song bangs. I like this song. I got to put this on playlist. And that, yeah, it was, it's like, you're a photo shoot, you're a star, you're a superstar. There's yellow in it. Yeah. And he was, there was, was a mic was hanging over his head, like Baby Mother in the Heavy Mental Color Show. And the <laughs> mic's just hanging there. And he's sneering at it, and he's swaying. He looks like, he looks like he's on coke. He did a better job pretending that he was on coke than uh, Michael J. Fox. Sad, really. Because, <laughs> <laughs> well, he'd been there. That's a great song. Oh, and, and I then that, um, that Donald Fagan does the uh, yes, the I'm glad you brought music. that up. The man, yes, and it's out, and even Donald Fagan kind of got his hand tied behind his back. It sounds like because he would have did something a little, you know, he knows how to bring some funk, and so it was. It was kind of just incident. It was incidental music, pretty much. Didn't really put anything into it other than this incidental music for this movie about this man. It doesn't really, I mean, did it, it kind of did, it didn't even really do like careless whisper sexy sax. It was just kind of like saxophone. <laughs> it was just like, here are some notes. <laughs> he phoned it in. Let's just say Donald Fagan phoned it in. That was a paycheck. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, what's not it's Donald Fagan, so it's not terrible, but it wasn't like memorable or mm-hmm. very. It's not like something he's gonna go. Remember when I did? He's not gonna. No one's yelling for that in the show, even ironically. Don't don't play that again. <laughs> don't do it. Just let it. But yeah, that was that was a song I enjoyed as a um, I'm says a fist of pop here. That's a. That's something that's not real. It's a new wave pop song, it's and a, he was a little older there. The Sophista Pop is a Spotify playlist name. Yeah. He was kind of like a Tina Turner. He was 40 then. Mm-hmm. So good for getting it done. They didn't let you be, like I said, he was on VH1. They didn't let you be on MTV when you're 40 unless you were Tina Turner. It was literally just her. So yeah. he did good on VH1. I can't believe that Tim heard New Order and still didn't want to do this episode. He didn't even want to like sit here to say, ooh, New Order. Remember when he looked up and said, oh, I know that song. We could have lured him in with uh, Blue Monday, but. Yeah, but no, he knows that song. Yeah. That's a great song. He still is, I don't even want to be on there to say that. Yeah. To go, oh, I like New Order, True well, Faith. And they got it. Yeah, there's a banger in this one, True Faith, which. Um, Good. 
have I have I told you like my unfortunate mental association with that song? No. Um. Okay. Uh. Every time I hear True Faith, I can't help but remember that it was playing in the background of One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. Oh no! You watched that? I watched That's some awesome. of it. <laughs> and what year was that? Regretted it. <laughs> what year was that? Jeez, when did? So it was. This is like 2010s. Yeah, it was. That was early weird internet. Kinda. Yeah. I was not on social media yet. This was, uh, I mean, it's still around, but it's like. Live, I'm not clicking on. Live. Not no, don't, don't. There's nothing. Yeah, I like my memories of True Faith, and I'm going to keep them that way. Yeah, nothing, nothing good can come of clicking on most of the stuff that you find on Live Leak. So there's that. But. Do it. But you know, I it's not New Order's fault. It's, it's still a really good song. <laughs> yeah. And the other, uh, the Depeche Mode song that I mentioned before is "Pleasure, Little Treasure." Yeah, music for the masses. Mm-hmm. Another and another band beloved of Tim. Yeah, it's a it's a good. Al- I like the Depeche Mode after that, but that is a good album too. Tim fucking loved Depeche I know. Mode. Yeah, no, we we listened to the uh, the greatest hit soundtracks a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, he would play the early '80s one more, and I would play like the late '80s one more. <laughs> so it was, was like '84, '86, and like '86, '88, or whatever, or something like that, or you know, whatever years they were. He started collecting vinyl now, and he started buying nice. like Depeche Mode vinyl. It's very nice. funny. '80s. I mean, vinyl is the thing, yeah, and there it's, you go. it's it's almost as valuable as Legos. Mm-hmm. Almost. <laughs> Tim just shout out plastic. To, um, shout out to DJ Culture, the Pet Shop Boy song, and actual DJs who have kept vinyl going all these years. Oh, there you go. Vinyls is the shit. But um, what else have we got on the soundtrack? On the soundtrack? Pump Up the Volume, which was the song MTV played by Mark. Pump Up the Volume, Pump Up the Volume. It's a jam. Yes, it it's is. instrumental uh, hip house song. It is one of the first hip house songs. I mean, one of the first... Pop, I probably said that on a previous episode, like one of the first popular hip house songs. But no, this was really was. It was night. It was nineteen eighty seven, and this was club music mm-hmm. until it showed up in movies. And MTV said, "We want that." Right. So I think this was probably one of the first uh, like crossover like house songs. So basically, they weren't really playing house on MTV. So basically, the soundtrack was way hipper than the movie could ever. And of to course, be. every uh, everyone's uh, favorite uh, dearly departed icon, Prince. Yes. Track one, and this is the song I learned second because where <laughs> Prince is like an uh, unofficial member of our family, so <laughs> my mom loved Good Love from day one, and I don't think she she probably did have the soundtrack. Um, it, I believe, it wasn't released except for on the soundtrack until he did crystal ball. When he opened his vault after he got his music back, he put out a three disc retrospective of outtakes and B sides from the eighties and nineties. And that was one of the songs that was finally being released for public consumption. It's, it's very good. Good love. It's like side of the times era Prince, just nice. in all glory. Gustav Mahler, Jamming on the box. <laughs> I believe it was number ten. It's number three. I'm sorry, but I've Gustav Mahler number ten is good too. <laughs> Close enough. Gustav Mahler number three. Jamming on the box. 
There you go. It's outstanding. It was track one. So they knew they knew what they were doing, like the Prince song first. Absolutely. I kind of want to track down this vinyl, actually. Of the soundtrack? Yeah. Okay, I just clicked on it. I keep clicking on The Secret of My Success. That soundtrack <laughs> is not as good. But the movie's got, better. Yes. That song, Al, that soundtrack is not as good. But yeah, that soundtrack for Bright Lights, because there's a lot of outstanding music and musicians that you can go to. Which is, and it's kind of funny because we've talked about the production, we've talked about the soundtrack, and thus buried the lead, which is the film itself. What movie? <laughs> We're talking about Secret of My Success. <laughs> oh, was Phoebe Cates in that? And Kiefer Sutherland? <laughs> Yeah, I wish Phoebe Case was in Secret of My Success. Well, let's talk about the movie, the which movie? we did watch. So, we did, um, a few times. So Michael J. Fox plays, did we say his name? Jamie Conway. Yeah. It has the world's most boring job. Maxine. It really is. Fact checker. Fact checker, which is an actual job that existed back then. I mean, I think there are and fact checkers now, but I would imagine they that they're task has been They're, facilitated somewhat by the internet by the internet and they still don't check all the facts well no i mean we are in a post-truth era so yeah they also fabricate shit so it's either one or the other but like yeah the answers are there and they either put bad facts in there or they don't check at all and but it, it makes the this movie is a what kind of magazine would you say this is like a vanity fair yeah it's that's like... the question that i was going to ask because it makes the movie feel even creakier because we're talking about a print magazine yeah what's that um what's print? Th and this was a time when it was maybe kind of viable if you were a, a so that's how you got in new york especially in the 80s you wanted to be in the mag that's where the models worked that's where the uh fashion designers put out their designs yeah uh, if you were a talented perfume ads yeah it was a big 80s culture was big on the print mag there were several different fashion makeup lifestyle magazines coming out of that scene mm-hmm yeah, and but and the the way that the magazine is depicted in the book and in the movie, it's kind of a more stodgy. Yeah, this is not that. This is not Vanity Fair. This is like it would have been. Actually, I was gonna say it was. Um, was that uh, Cosmos? Colliers. <laughs> uh, what was the sci-fi one? Um, Omni. Omni. Yes. If he had been a fact checker for Omni, how cool would that have been? Oh, man. Well, this was um, post-Omni, but pre-George. Yeah, so it's like a boring, so there probably weren't. He probably thought, well, I'm getting a job. Well, really, no, in it's like, actuality, you know he was a writer that did want to get published in that magazine, but he couldn't get his stuff read, so he ended up just getting a job in the building. Yeah, and so I, he gets I, to check the facts of like the mo world's most. They're like, are they political articles or are they just you know essays? What it is? You know what it is? It's it's the New Yorker, essentially. Yeah, and he didn't even get to do comics. So he like the art. Those those art <laughs> like those. In he wasn't even getting like deep articles. What was it? It wasn't even about like an election. It was about. Well, one of the contentious points in the movie is that he, um, and again, the book, I guess I don't need to keep repeating that, but, you know, because they're both like pretty much the same. Um, one, same of the, one of the contentious points is that he's given an article assignment, which sounds like a prank, um, <laughs> because it's some kind it's of a trick. It's a meaning of Arctic Explorers. 
And uh, he's trying to find out, um, I guess, what they talked about at their boring ass meeting at some <laughs> fucking hotel. Like, is, is, and then is, is didn't he have to ask him like what the weather was, and like he had to confirm what the weather was on the day? The crazy things. Yeah, and there's some like, oh god damn it! My, to, I lost it was, my notes when my computer took a shit. But... I know it was insane things that he had to fact check. That yeah. seemed like some. In, it was an insane wild goose. Just like you, it wasn't like he had to know what exactly what they were. He had to know where and what time and what like. And I guess apparently the person because he didn't write it. He wasn't there to write it. He was there to make sure all everything that was written was correct. So you mean the person that wrote the article didn't keep good enough notes to get all like you should be helping us out here, but no, they just give him the text. Yeah, and there's some joke about like him having to confirm whether they served "quote unquote" smoked emperor penguin on yeah, triscuits. What was that about? Like, are you kidding me? Like, it like, sounds. No it sounds way. like he's being punked. Yeah, like, are you? This is a joke, right? Like, like it they sounds, didn't really do this. It sounds like a hoax. Like, there's a made-up society. To, like, and remember, the only way to get get in contact with someone to fact check something would be to call them on the phone. So he had to call, like, and it wasn't like he was calling, like, Nantucket. He had to call, like, France. Yeah, and... Um, to, like, find out if this had actually happened or not. Like, yeah, go, call France and ask him. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, with a slight... I would think I was being hazed. With a slight implication that he probably talked up his... Um, his language skills a little bit to get the position. Oh, everyone so. did, like, well, I took French in high school, so I can speak French. But, yeah. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, so it's kind of, a, it's it's a low-level job where he's basically cleaning up after, um, my impression is, like, older established writers who yeah, have kind of become even, complacent in their yeah, it's jobs. it's not even spell check, because it's not, the thing he has to do is, like, make sure, like, grammar, if it was, like, grammar and diction and make sure everything's, like, the, it flowed <laughs> right it's not that they're like that's done. You have to make sure the actual words are correct. Like you mean the writer isn't part of this process anymore? I guess they don't have to care. Like that's why you got underlings to like. I mean that's why the magazine is what it is. And even the magazine, I'm guessing the rest of the magazine offices were a little cooler. But the fact checking office is like a library. Yeah, which again in pre-internet days, I guess you had to have like There's extensive a, encyclopedias. I still but... don't know. Like we said at the beginning, there's a tale of night, but no, there's just a suit of armor in his boss's office. I'm like, is she gonna send him on a quest? Like, why is there there's no explanation? It's just like a dusty <laughs> artifact in a just place full of books. Like, it seemed like almost that if he got an article, like, the answers would be, you don't go, you just look in the book. And well, if the, it's not in the book, you have to get on the phone. Well, I guess. And that was it. Those are your, that's your instructions. I remember that you, after we watched it, you kept returning to the suit of armor, and it does seem to be, um, I mean, it does figure in the plot. Is it in the book? <clears throat> yes, it is. And it figures in the movie in that um, the the kind of, relic of a gentler age the older uh famous formerly famous and drunken writer played by jason robards he ends oh, up yeah. being um i guess clobbered by the suit of armor during their late night escapades in the office <laughs> it fell on him yeah it does that's does a great it, scene it, such a, and it's such a weird tone shift it, it is movie. nothing in the movie prepares you for that i was no. i would have expected if anything that the suit of armor would have started talking 
before I would have <laughs> expected it to just fall down in like a an accident and then he runs in terror because it's injured them his hero. I'm like I that was I was not expecting that. Well one thing I wasn't expecting was for the ferret scene to have come from the book. Yeah. It's in the, the fucking book. And there is there's some pratfalls in it and it does liven things up. And there's no like um I mean particularly at the time you know that it's like oh well what's a wacky animal that we can put in the movie that'll go crazy and run around which is like which it's and it's really funny if you've ever actually like played with a pet ferret that was well socialized because the i did that one time that was a ferret right i can't yeah um that's awesome they're just very they're just very goofy little animals that just kind of like love they are. They hop around and they wrestle and yeah, they're silly. curious and they're yeah. But the one, the one in the movie acts like kind of people's conception of ferrets because you know people still have kind of a a, a, a negative impression of them. Yeah, it's, you know some kind of like crazed, the flailing, dangerous thing. Yeah, that'll go. Like if you see it, it's just gonna just wail on you like gremlins or something. If exactly. you <laughs> it's anywhere near you. Yeah, and and you know of course yeah in the movie like they're trying to sneak the ferret into um, Jamie's why? boss's <laughs> office to give that her a scare, was I guess. like a prank. It was, it was like why did you why would you just let's so they actually. Got sat together and said, "You know what we should do to really get under a goat." Like, <laughs> first like, of all, comes up with that, and they just all agreed. You know why not just what decision making skills are going on? Why not just <laughs> take a dump on the old biddy's desk like a normal yeah, person? And you, you never thought. I mean, there's so many old pranks. Yeah. Or like put, like put like well, Sister Act two didn't exist yet, but put glue on her seat. The, yeah, the, or wrap the up simple school pranks. Wrap up a fish and hide it in in her office. Oh so she yeah, can't find it, you know. Oh yeah, to put it in a desk drawer. But and you know, I think I don't know. Maybe the the, the ferret probably I shouldn't is... do. I shouldn't talk about any more office pranks, or if something happens at my office, <laughs> you're right. It's like you know what else you should do, and then it's evidence. We'll, so we'll, let's we'll, bleep move your, on. we'll bleep your name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like the ferret is probably symbolic of something, but I don't really fucking care. It's a ferret. Yes. Um, and the guy who's there, um, and the ferret is purchased by. Michael J. Fox's character on Impulse in the Park um, from a, a famous character actor, William Hickey. Um, you guys will probably recognize him if you see him. Very thin, kind of cadaverous character let's, actor. Let's see. Um, I think he sells him cocaine and a ferret. <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. What did I say? that? Um, I forget what I said. Was it he in a UHF? Um, no, Christmas Vacation. Yeah. He was the the uh, old uh, uncle yeah. with uh, the voice of Betty Boop. They were the aunt and the senile aunt and uncle in Christmas Vacation. That was him. <laughs> I've seen him in many things, but yes. But yeah, so um, yeah, you'll recognize him when you see him, but he's the guy who sells Michael J. Fox the ferret. Um, it's, that's who it is. Ferret being, I don't know if, I, the, is the ferret comedy? Is Does the ferret mean something? Um, I mean, I laughed. Yeah, I but... mean... It, I don't know what it had to do with anything else that was going on. <laughs> the thing is, and it's it's very weird. Like it doesn't, and it doesn't come across as weird in the book. I'm not sh sure. Right, why. Do you think it's something that actually happened that he thought this will be a cool bit <laughs> to include in my story? Um, maybe. Uh, 
uh, Jay McInerney like encounter like a ferret with rabies. Yeah. <laughs> Since that's what I was thinking that this was an anecdote <laughs> that he's like, I got to put this in my in my book. It does kind of sound like a bullshit story that someone mm-hmm. would tell you, like, oh yeah. man, like I had this shitty job and like my fucking cunt boss, and, like I really yeah, fucking probably, fair in their office, bro. If you had a director that knew how to do, I mean, we're again, I'm thinking in more modern filming, but they could have been telling this instead of us actually seeing him get the fair do. He could have been like a story that he told mm-hmm. while high in the club and they're like i don't believe you that's far-fetched they're like no man it happened <laughs> but no they just they just give it to you like flatly present it to you that this is a thing that he did yeah and again it's the disconnect from i mean it doesn't seem like that much of a disconnect now but uh, there was a big generation gap between a like a 50 something film director that did like 70s paranoia thrillers and the paper chase yeah the paper chase guy and doing something like new wave 80s kid i mean they didn't do the drugs this so how are you gonna know what it's like they did different mm-hmm. yeah it's not the same drug but i mean yeah it it, it the movie was just... also i looked it up so we can be clear the chopra and her husband co-wrote the screenplay okay originally the initial and... screenplay yes and oh, I've lost it. His last name was Glennon. Right. Did was a cinematographer that worked with her on Smooth Talk, and they were all let go t- together. Well, and then I guess what happened was that um, the author just took over and wrote, turned out the screenplay himself. Yes. Because that's who's credited. Mm-hmm. James Glennon was Chopra's cinematographer. Which, and you know, that also explains why they don't really deviate much from the, from what was. Yeah, on it's the like page. this is what I did, and you can tell it's written by someone that really doesn't know. He knows how to write a book and like tell a story in paragraphs. Yeah, but it's a different medium writing a screenplay to like, especially a shooting script. Oh, a hundred percent. Because the book, um, one of the charms of the book is that it is it is very witty. I mean, it yeah. is the it is the kind of book that would be written by a precocious, sophisticated young Yeah, like man. him reading it to you would probably be more vibrant. It probably would, because it is it is a very compelling read, and it's, you know, a breezy one, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really come across on the screen. No. They um, just kind of... I said this when the first Harry Potter movies came out. It's like they pointed a camera at the words and filmed the words. Oh yeah, that first. It, it's like turning Columbus, pages. Harry yeah. Potter it's movie. like turning pages. Oh god, it's so bland. Yeah. Yeah, I just felt like grabbing the corner of the screen and like going, "Okay, yes," and like <laughs> turning to the next page. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, not 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 super inspiring. Um, and more so, and I'm repeating myself from earlier, but you know, this is a movie and a story about a young man whose life has just taking bigger shit than my laptop did earlier yeah he's bottomed out he's not doing too well and the job is really the least of his worries yeah i mean like yes and i get that this is kind of like to him it probably feels like that especially in your 20s it probably feels like Mm -hmm. the death of your ambitions like your beautiful wife has just left you, but you didn't really. You well, were she to realize, wasn't just beautiful. She was Phoebe Cates. Yeah, and you're starting, but you're starting to realize that you and her didn't hadn't really ever connected anyway, and yeah. you haven't dealt with your mother's death 
Um, yeah. The very, like, a really beautiful Diane Weist plays his mother in this. She was on fire then. That was prime Diane Weist. I mean, she's kind of wasted as just a woman who's dying in a bed. She's but good. She still, she still sells it because she's Diane Weist. Yeah, she's really good. Um, it's very good. But, uh, you know, so you have these heavy themes that are kind of... And, like, again, well, the way it's filmed, it's kind of film. It's, like, it's kind of, like... His his memories were like flashbacks, and it, the film gets all wavy. And it's like an old, <laughs> like cheesy. <laughs> it is like diddly <laughs> flashbacks, like it's how he remembers it. Like it's raining through a plate glass window, and you just watch him like pouring pills out, giving to her on the bed or whatever. Yeah, and the like. Um, I don't think he. I don't think this twenty five year old boy would remember this like this. And you're. I, you're supposed to get the impression that he's struggling with guilt over basically having eased his mom's passage. Like it's yeah, it's, they 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 don't really give that to you. So that's supposed to be the the big oh, that's why he's doing coke moment. <laughs> Is that he's upset about his um, assisted suicide or what? What I don't know what they would have called it then because it wasn't a thing. And it was really socially you couldn't say things like that out loud. And I don't know if it was. No, there cause... were laws protecting it, at the, or not. I think you might have been gotten in trouble if you got caught or something like that. Back yeah, because then. I feel like um, the book Final Exit and um, Kevorkian were things were like '90s phenomena. Yeah, did not exist yet. Yeah, well, oh, they exist. They were not talked about. Yeah, and there... so this would be a thing that, like, even in a movie, they probably even in this dry. <laughs> dry telling of the story mm-hmm. just the reveal of this like if you if you were one of the 30 people that saw it in 1980 they were like <gasps> it probably was like a shocking moment yeah or is the big that they were like this is the big reveal of our movie and, and maybe the people that were making are like this is gonna be uh just a a bombshell when we put this in there mm-hmm. yeah and um assisted suicide and euthanasia are still because there's been such a you know, so much has happened since, um, you know, Kevorkian and yes. people, I think that there's been more of a, um, a movement in the medical community to kind of discuss the possibility of what they call a good death in which, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, you're not, you know, you're not pushing somebody over the cliff, but you're easing their suffering when yes. death is inevitable. Um, and that is still contentious for people to talk about. It is. So, of course, and like, I'm glad the, that we get, we got to bring this up because guess who did a very um, pretty much anything I've endorsed in previous episodes will probably have some good connections in current episodes. <laughs> and the Carmichael Show on NBC did an assisted suicide episode, and it was fantastic. Oh, really? With Marla Gibbs as their grandmother, and she was like, "I got the drugs. I need you to take me out." And they had a whole, it was a whole episode. It's it's funny, it touches everything. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's one of David Allen Greer's finest performances, I would say. So Nice. Yeah. I'm again, still plugging the Carmichael show, you need to watch it. Not and, just I'm not saying you, I'm saying the audience. No, yeah, that's worth to, to the, the broader you. Um But yeah, so we have this um this movie which is uh touching on extremely controversial topics, but is only willing to barely touch on um yeah. you know the death it's just again flatly stated like this is what happened yeah like you know um euthanasia um the which that's also there's also like a recurring image of um 
there's like a tabloid story going on about a mother in a coma of, of the of the yoda baby i mean coma baby, baby yoda <laughs> it's, it's a puppet right because there's, there's no such thing as computer generated images in movies in 1988 so they literally had to have a puppet baby yeah it's a really shitty looking coma. puppet too and i was like okay here we go and it was just really gross and weird it, and it kills very literal, and I'm sure in the book it's. Pro- I mean, it's probably a little more fantastical. Well, it's not as. It doesn't seem as heavy-handed in the book. It's just. It's like a um, a story which, um, you know, you get you get the impression that it's one of those like tabloid stories which just sees New Yorkers' imagination. Yeah. So it's on because the New York no, Post yeah, every day. It's something you see on the subway, or and you're just catching up on it. You see the headline or whatever. Yeah, but the like um, I said, they didn't have like celebrity culture where they just had gossip so i'm sure that was the big gossip story in new york yeah like like people love gossip but this was a pre-tmz era um yeah and the the coma baby is a pretty explicit metaphor for the main character (laughs) It's, it's pretty obvious yeah um who is by the way is nameless in the book because the book is written in the second person Really? So um, everything is huh. like, oh, you, you know, you get up and you're oh, yeah. But they had to give him a name. So like, there's the... no omniscience. It's just he's going through. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you are a creepy baby uh, puppet uh, 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 uh. in a plastic bubble. <laughs> <laughs> um, you are a labored metaphor. They should have just waited until technology had caught up, and they could have did the dancing baby from Ally McBeal. Oh, it would have been great. Jesus Christ, that would have been great. Like... That thing. It, they, <laughs> why they should have just gotten the Star Baby from uh, two thousand one. From two thousand one, yeah. Maybe it had rotted away or something. I so. it probably was too expensive, or he wouldn't give. I don't think he's like, yeah, you can have my proper for my mother. Just, um, I don't think he was a sharer like well, that. Well, also, like if you've ever seen like a movie prop auction or something, like you you'll know that movie props generally are not built to last. No, um, and that would have been almost twenty years, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. It would have been, been about twenty dust. years. Yeah. 16, would have been uh, it would have been in bad shape yeah but so it it um it wasn't meant to be um maybe when there's like a and i'm sure um james bridges didn't know anyone that worked for jim henson so you weren't getting a good <laughs> puppet here if they had like wait now i'm curious about who like if um if anyone did is there documents on who did the pu- documentation on who did the puppet I'm looking it up on IMDb right now because I'm like curious. I'm Somebody up. must have made that puppet. Let's see, cast and crew. <laughs> I don't think they. I don't think they spent that much on. I uh, yeah, wasn't really a big because that wasn't a big thing then. You just the big thing was the cast and the screenplay I, and the soundtrack. It That's really what you does, spent the money on. It really does look like shit. <laughs> Um, but I'm, yeah, but would you rather have that or would you rather spend like $175 million to make Joe Pesci look 52? <laughs> I mean, you gotta look at the big picture here. We say, They saved money in the long run. <clears throat> okay, let me see. Um, I guess it would be art department or effects? Music, yeah, if they had any. Are you looking at the longer credits? Hmm. Yeah. They, uh, well, they thank Oscar De La Renta. <laughs> I don't think it's a De La Renta baby puppet. No, I'm. Did he, uh... did he go in the puppetry? But <laughs> no, they did have actual fashion. There was an in... Oscar De La Renta fashion show. Yes, so, um... there was a De La Renta fashion show. They did thank Ted Casablanca, the gossip columnist. So they, yeah, they had the. So the, that's where the money went. 
was it De La Renta getting to produce a fashion show <laughs> and getting like an accurate depiction of a gossip newspaper. Like these were the things they had to get right. But the the puppet baby, they didn't have to get that right. They, the technology wasn't there yet for a puppet baby. <laughs> I'm not seeing... Yeah, there's like, okay, this is all set stuff. Um, I think it was a puppet. Oh, special effects, animatronics, uncredited. Wow. Oh, um, who is it? Kelly Lep- Lepkowski? Mm. Known for his work on Enemy Mine, Virtuosity, and Jason X. Yeah, that's not good. Oh, he did. Oh, shit. Did Creature Effects on Existence? Um, okay, there you go. The uh, yeah, it, it does have an Existence look. Yeah. Uh, James and the Giant Peach designed some animatronics for that. Yeah, it's kind of it is kind of in that like creepy. It's like creepy, goofy. He worked on not scary. It's like creepy, goofy, silly. Yeah, he worked on the Creature Crew for Grim. Oh my God, he worked. Is he did. Too? Okay, he did animatronics for one of my personal favorite comedies Grease of the nineteen eighties. No, Hot to Trot, starring Bobcat oh Goldthwait. Oh my God, he did not. And That's horrible. John Candy is the voice of the talking horse. I'm betting that he did. I almost saw that movie in the theater. I I love and uh, I've seen that movie. A th- and cooler has prevailed. Times. I don't know what we saw instead. It's it was K nine out that year. Yeah. Oh, we saw. Dude, I we, I saw K nine five times in the. Was theater. that the same year? Because that's what we saw. I think K nine was a little later. I think it was like. Well, 89. I know I saw that eighty nine. Yeah. Hot to Trot was what year? I know you know. Nineteen eighty. I don't know what we would have seen. It probably was. I'm gonna get you, sucker. So I won. <laughs> yeah, you did. Because um, I'm sure. No, I know we saw that in the theater. Because that hot, was Hot to Trot holds a special place in my heart, but not because it's uh, it's it's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm guessing he did. Um, because that movie, um, not just it, not only has horses in it, but it also has uh, you know, a big party scene with lots of different animals. So I'm I'm guessing he had something to do with that. Um, but he also provided uh, the coma baby from, uh, and rightfully was right to not really. If it was uncredited, he did the right thing. I'm saying, yeah, okay, his. I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't misgendering Kelly Lipkowski and like assuming, like, but yeah, it's he his, his work, yes. Because yeah. um, sometimes there are guys named Kelly, but anyway, so yeah, uh-huh. so um, creepy coma baby, um, leaden metaphor. Um, and it's like a goofy creepy. Yeah, like it's not even like Train Spotting, which is legitimately creepy. It's just goofy. Oh my! The baby in Train Spotting is freaky. This is just like horrifying. In, horrifying. In Bright Lights, Big City, it's just like what? What is this? You know what it's like. Remember the the ads they had back then in the in the eighties of the like when you smoke your baby smokes too. Oh yeah. That's what it looks like. <laughs> It's like, like that, it's um, goofy and cre- it's like unsettling, but it's not like I'm not disturbed. I'm still unsettled by it. It would be funny to. I wonder if there's if you could intercut um, the coma baby scenes with the Kate, the video for breathing by Kate Bush. <laughs> you know where she's singing from the point of view of like a, a fetus. Like, well, there's your there's your YouTube channel. Yeah, it's like a fetus experiencing like a like a nuclear explosion, like from within the womb, like. <laughs> Huh, maybe I'll try it. I don't, anyway. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a coma baby metaphor. There's a really, oh God, the, the, the end of the movie, speaking of, I'm leaping ahead, but speaking of extremely labored metaphors, um, 
Michael J. Fox trades his cool Ray-Ban sunglasses to a bread truck guy. Yeah, he gets some bread. Yeah, he gets that he bread. He did it. But it's, I think it's like some kind of like redemptive moment. Yeah, I guess the sunglasses are a, is code. I mean, again, code for this, me is a cool man, guy. Yeah, this is the China Syndrome paper chase guy. Like, he's gonna, the kids are going to take their sunglasses off and they're going to look you in the eye again. <laughs> it's like he's growing up. Well, he doesn't you know need to be shielded. It's right out he doesn't of, need to hide his eyes anymore. It's literally right out of the book. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, so, again, it's something that he did that he thought had deeper significance other than he gave some sunglasses. And you know what? Like, in the book, like, it, you, like, accept it. Uh, like, it's fine. You know, again, book, fun, fun, breezy read with a little bit of, uh, you know, self And again, if it's, if it's, but. if the tone is lighter... Even as it's dark, if the tone is lighter or darker at the same time, because he's telling like these grim stories, but he's also like getting into these silly misadventures when he's high and trying to get some mm-hmm. dancing. Like it, do- it would be like an impulsive career. Like yeah, and I ran up with this bread guy, and I was like, here, give me some, give me some bread, and he gave it to me. Like <laughs> there's a way to present that story that does make would give it even though it's not a meaningful story, it would be more interesting to watch than the way it's presented in the movie well like the big revelatory emotional moment is when he calls up tracy pollen like at 3 a.m and tells well her, we kind of got ahead of ourselves even though there's not much to get ahead of the, the entire movie takes to cover the course of what one week yeah like, like it doesn't it doesn't fucking matter but like the big but like the big before ab- that is they go how many dates have they gone on before he made this revelatory phone call what three is this the third date? And the third date, I tell you about how I, uh, uh, me and my brother gave some pills to my mom. I literally thought that they just went out like once. I thought it was once. As, I was like, the, the one date? This is it? I don't know. Like, because his, cause, uh, his, his friend... He didn't have that much going on. They could have gone out again. His friend his friend sets him up. Kiefer Sutherland's character sets him up with his cousin, and he's like, oh, man, like, what's your... What? And he's, like, she, he's like, she's lame, man. She, like, what Take kind her of, off my hands for me? Yeah, like, what kind of horror are you gonna, like, set me and up with? And she's, like, a wholesome girl. Yeah, you know... very understanding and, you know... Dude, you just know, too, that, like, Kiefer Sutherland's character in that movie, he would have tried to fuck his cousin. Yeah... And I guess they would have, I don't know if that was a thing that they put in movies then, but I guess <laughs> they decided instead that he would um, have a, a scene where he tried to seduce uh, a man in a dress instead, because that was a big uh, punchline back then. Oh, like, yeah, oh, you're, a... It's a drag queen, man! Yeah, there's it's a... It's a very 80s comedy moment. Can I, can I even, like, say... Can I even say in a in a kind of disgusted tone that, oh, yeah, there's a trap joke in this movie? It's a trap joke. Because um, that's what they... they It was a big thing in the 80s. Yeah, because... And I'm sure that was something that probably, again, the 10 people in there probably went, ho, 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 Because that was something that was played for humor at the he time. He was trying to fuck a man in a dress. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, um, yeah, and oh yeah, and this was at the time of the whole like club kids scene in New York. So you you huh? know you would see like gender ambiguous people like partying yes. and like and you know like, I mean this... at the time that was the only play of again people the people that made the movie were of the age that they would think 
that's the kind of people that are in the clubs these days. <laughs> the underbelly of the city. Yeah. It's a man wearing a dress. Yeah, and it's but like it's, it's not it's, really a. It's not an accurate. I mean, I wouldn't say it's. Well, it's not like an like the performance itself is not exploitative, but the presentation of his little uh, seduction conversation, what have you, is not very artful. Well, and I and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a uh, ADR or if um, it was the um, the actor um, credited as Zet, but um, proper name Bernard Zet. Um, if the actor said the dialogue on the set and they were like, okay, well, like make it really obvious you're talking in a man's voice. Mm-hmm. They might've, they might've changed it. Yeah. They're like, they probably like when they were doing posts, they said, Oh, this isn't, we're not getting the joke. Or like, Cause they probably did try to punch it up yeah. to make it a joke. Paging Mr. Herman, paging yeah, Mr. Even, yeah, Herman. The actor probably was like, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't <laughs> sound right. And then after it was like, Oh, we'll put it in later. Yeah, and you they know they might have done something in in post with the audio. And it's I like, don't think the actor did that. Yeah, and it's like oh ha ha, like it's oh ha ha, it's a trans person, but it's like she looks yeah, no, she looks great. Yeah, she the makeup is flawless. Like she she's like tall and elegant and like yeah. looks amazing and but you know it's, it was it's a good it's a model look. It's a very good model look. Yeah, but you know again the eighties ha ha ha, um, mm. and again right out of the book. So again, something that happened. You know what it's like, and this is actually it's how many how many strange... trans women do you think that Jay McInerney tried to fuck? That are actually um, got his dick sucked from. You know what this <laughs> reminds me of? As far as I mean, I know again we're jumping around. I'm jumping ahead in time and thinking more modern. But you know what kind of that genre ended up slowly evolving to. Is I got this because I don't check. I have like a one disc Netflix thing now, and I'll just rent. I rented like what did I rent? Midnight Cowboy or something. Yeah, yeah. I'll just take a movie. I'll just take an old movie, old classic, and get it. And then I'll just put them in. I don't know what's coming next. Do you know? I, I really need to check my Netflix too because you know what came to yesterday? What? I hope they serve beer in hell. The movie, <laughs> which is very similar to the Misadventures. <laughs> But of course, by 2009, you could just get real raunchy and you'd just be bodily fluids and sex and you could just say all the, the bad things. But it's kind of like that, but you couldn't say any of that in the 80s movie. But, but those are the kind of guys that they, they became in the, the modern era. But the flip side of that is something like a Tucker Max movie feels like so quaint. Yeah, because even it's that like, is quaint now. And when did that movie come out? Do you know? If it's it, was 10, it was 2009. 2009. Yeah, like a oh. decade. Like it feels like a hundred years. It is. It feels like like hot to trot now. It does. It's like a. It's just old, uh, old chestnut. Yeah, and you know, keep in mind, Hot to Trot is a movie about a horse that picks stocks. Like, <laughs> but it is, it's an eighties. It's that's the eighties. It is. That is an eighties ass premise. Gotta get that bread. Oh, and, um, Virginia Madsen is in it. That was my introduction to Virginia Madsen. And I hope they serve beer in hell. No, no, no. Uh, oh, and a hot to trot. Oh, not, man. um, uh, not candy, man, not candy, man, not electric dreams. Um, or even, uh, wasn't she in the hotspot? Yes. Dang it. Another Spang it. Another famous flop. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, 
uh, hot to trot. Hot she to plays, trot. She is hot. She plays uh, Bob Goldthwait's uh, love interest in the movie. <laughs> Of course, uh, yeah, good as story. as 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 would be the case in real life, which is which is funny because he ended up with Nikki Cox for many years. Did he? Oh yeah, that's that's real. They were what? together, huh? While they were doing that TV show where he was the voice of an animated rabbit while he did the or a puppet rabbit puppets <laughs> all connected, um, the voice of the puppet rabbit on the married with children wb knockoff they were together for, for while the show was on 9705 damn that's disturbing more, yeah that, that that's oh, horrifying <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah uh i keep coming back to hot to trot because i like it so much better than this movie even though it's not a good movie <laughs> but yeah i was saying that like they're like guys they're, they're guys doing bad things and like they're doing these are their naughty stories like oh you're not gonna believe what i did last night i talked to a man yeah. he's <laughs> like okay yeah again and it i feels... know thought these would be big punches but the audience for the for this movie would not be shocked by those things, and the way it's presented is not yeah. shocking. It doesn't pop. Yeah, it doesn't pop as a joke or even an insult. It's just like a thing they did. It's so, it's so dated. It's a little too serious. Yeah, it's that's wild. But yeah, um, I don't know. Do we? Um, I feel like we kind of like adequately the story. Did like did we? I mean, did he has a boring down to the plot. No, he has a boring job at the fact checking thing. He decides one day that he's gonna like half-ass his job and like do some coke at his uh, desk and half-ass his assignment so he can go out clubbing again. And he gets fired. Yeah, and um, day. also and, complicating fact complicating things is the fact that his wife, uh, who is a successful up and coming model, has just fucked off to France. Oh, she's so gorgeous. She had Adorable. the she had the drop dead Fred hair before drop dead Fred. Oh yeah, which uh, a movie which, which we covered I mean, on the show. <laughs> she have to grow it back because remember at the beginning of drop dead Fred she had the longer hair. Yeah. And then she cut it, but so it was short in this movie, so she grew it back and cut it again. It could be That's a wig. Commitment. It could be a wig. Like wigs... she had the short hair in Gremlins too, too. So yeah, wigs are wigs are just easier in terms of movie production a lot of the time. Yes. Than... You know, growing your hair. It was the pixie cut big for models in the eighties. I don't know if they were do, doing short hair yet. They were doing like the Brian Ferry video, like the long flowing. If nothing else, it would have been big. If even if it wasn't long and flowing, it would have been big and up, like a fright thing. Yeah, because I'm picture. I'm trying to picture a like a kind of pixie cut model, and I'm thinking like Linda Evangelista, but that yeah, was it a didn't few years off. It did not happen in the eighties, but that's okay. She's Phoebe Cates, and she was a model. And, so, um, in fact, uh, the author did date models, and this is kind of a weird... Not B.B. Cates, though. Well, no, but um, this is a weird little kind of tidbit. Um, right around the time that uh, I think the movie was coming out, he started dating a model named Marla Hansen, who huh. was not known because of her modeling necessarily, even though she had kind of started to forge a pretty successful career in it. Um, she was known in the gossip rags because uh, she had been living in New York and her landlord had come on to her sexually and she turned him down. So he paid two guys to slash her face. Oh, my God. So she. Um, wow. They, they attacked her, slashed her face. She, uh, it went to trial um, and somewhat notoriously 
um, she was put on trial almost as much as the perpetrators. Of course, because again, this is 1980s. Yeah, exactly. So, you and know, that's how, um, and that's how guys like that got away with it is they, they prosecute the victim. Exactly. So, like, um, I mean, this came out the same year as, I mean, again, these were taboo subjects. You couldn't talk about the things they were doing to women in these industries or in any uh, position that they mm-hmm. had to go up against the system that didn't want to see, like, guys that look like Michael J. Fox or Mick and Mick I. Yeah. Um, J. Mac. Yeah, J. Mac. <laughs> but thank, but luckily, uh, the accused came out this year, and think at least that story came out. So, 1988 started... was kind of a watershed moment where you were finally able to tell stories like this in public. It started a conversation. Yeah, I think that Marla Hansen was attacked in um, 1986 or so, and her, um, the guy, her former landlord, the guy who hired the guys who attacked her, and those two guys, I think, did uh, see. Uh, jail time for it good um but yeah um she Yikes. Met, yeah she i met, didn't know about that it's crazy yes but she met jay mcinerney around the time after she'd recovered and they were item for uh, a few years until uh i think she dumped him in the early 90s of course and then like so he, he was ahead of himself in the story when the model dumped him he's like you're gonna leave me well because he had been dumped by his first wife who was also a model of course so yes <laughs> Or like she was a um, she was like a a model or an art student or something. Forgive me, audience, but um, he was married to a beautiful, creative woman who dumped him. Still not as hot as Phoebe Cates, but I'm sure she was very attractive <laughs> and successful. I couldn't find any any pictures of her when I was researching. So, but I'm I'm sure she was very. I beautiful. would say, wouldn't you say that when um, J.B. Conway is describing the book that he wants to write or the mm-hmm. doesn't he say I have an essay I was writing but it's really like a short story that could be like a longer story which is his actual story he did he Michael J Fox is talking about how that he and his girlfriend were like high school sweethearts or whatever and are they from the midwest yes and they came out to the big city to make it and he she made it and he didn't and mm-hmm. they get involved in the coke scene and the fashion world and he kind of gets kicked out of it and she doesn't yeah him describing that in his little monologue is very good mm-hmm. and because it's mainly focuses on michael j fox so you have michael j fox like t- spinning a tail which would have been better for a lot of the movie if it was michael j fox spinning tails and making himself seem like this like cool guy that had been shit on he isn't um he isn't really given much of an opportunity to stretch. Like he is, no. he is, he is decent in that, that monologue scene. It's a little bit, um, I mean, it is a little bit like, you know, monologues for male actors and it's, it's very, it's exactly very, what it is. And it's extremely dull in it's staging in yeah. like an awful eighties apartment. I think he's in Swoosie Kurtz's apartment. Yeah. Um, doesn't he say it to Jason Robards as well? I, oh yeah. Cause they go to lunch. Or does he get, yeah, doesn't he say it to him too? I think so. I can't I don't know. Remember. The monologue is not as long when he says it to him because Jason Robards does most of the talking. Yeah. Or rambling. Now there's a guy that knew how to act like he was under the influence. He did the <laughs> old, bitter, burnt out, drunk just to perfection. Oh, he's great in it. In um... and he showed up. I, I mean, he did those two scenes. He's he's great, and he's just wasted. The thing and the thing is, hey, you give know... me another one. Give me. He doesn't even eat food. He's just ordering vodkas. Yeah, and um, Michael J. Fox is like trying to keep up with him, and he's like, 
you know, the drinks just keep coming and it's like, yeah, this, it's, is, this is lunch, you know? He's a hard drinker. He has at least eight drinks. And I feel like that is definitely a character based on a real person, but I'm not literary enough to know. I'm sure it's is. somebody. It's like how we don't know what magazine it is. It's a community. <laughs> you know. Well, I think, I think, um, I think, Jay, George. I think Jay Mack did work for the New Yorker. So it's probably just yeah. the New Yorker. And the he New did. Yorker does seem like the kind of stodgy magazine that would have that kind of like really cunty editor yeah. that he tangles with who hates his guts. But she just doesn't realize how talented he is, but he can't get anybody to read his writing. You know, no. like, do you? I, I'm kind of laughing imagining the Twitter backlash to this book if it came out now because everyone would just be like, oh, this is just some boring bro story. Who cares? Yeah. And I guess it kind of is, but, you know, who gives a but shit? But back then they were the protagonists and they were winning and they got to tell their stories. Now you can, like, look back and go, there there are more kinds of stories and other kinds of people in the world. But back then it was just those were the guys that got to tell their stories and those well, are the guys yeah. that got to see all the time. Yeah, New York was where things were happening. It was like yeah. the center of like a, a exciting new literary movement that Yeah, and as we know New York especially in the 80s was very diverse and the movie of course as the people it made are not very diverse even though his coworker is Asian and seems to be they let him be curious or at least he's either gay or bi curious. He's gay, yeah. He, yeah, he's, he's got a gay Asian coworker. Is the character gay in the book? Uh yeah. So they did let they did allow for like the the community <laughs> to be represented by two people in the movie when you couldn't do that at all in eighties movies well, and, unless um, they were horrible punchlines and he did yes. they didn't make him a punchline he was just a gay man who was his coworker yes exactly yeah there's there's no well, that, and there's that's no pretty radical for the eighties you couldn't that's true you, know, and you do that there's no long duck dong business or any of no, that shit just his Asian gay coworker yeah. And, and that was pretty forward thinking that they let him be himself in a movie. Yeah, and especially considering that the the New York of the book and the movie, I don't want, I'm not going to say like it's a whitewashed New York, but it it's, is. it's pretty white centered because yeah. there are some there are a few gags in the novel involving like, you know, um seeing Hasids on the train and stuff like that. You know, oh, that's so New York. Haha. And then there's a crazy gay guy on the bus like yelling oh, at people. Goodness, yeah. There, I'm sure there's a lot of what the guys in uh, Joker were doing before Joker emptied <laughs> his gun into them. They were just taunting people and like, let's make fun of the clown. Let's throw him a French fries at this hot girl. Yeah, like that's what they were doing, but no one ever shot them. Unfortunately. Yeah, but it, it's definitely kind of like only in New York kind of vignettes. Yeah, Ugh, look at look at this clown. I'm sure they got to be like taunting bullies. Yeah. Kind of schoolyard bullies let loose on like we're we're painting the town red. We're leaving our stand. We're leaving our mark. At least it's a New York of possibilities for a young man, and not the uh, the urban hellhole that we get in so many of the movies that we cover on the show. Yeah, it's not an urban hellhole. It's a, a it's a metropolis. It's more of a metropolis, or it's a place where things are happening. It's yuppie New York. It is yuppie. Like your dreams can come true. Yeah. And that's why I thought that's why I thought it was the secret of my success for so long. <laughs> I thought it was the same movie that he was gonna like. I'm gonna get it done. Yeah. Well, it is not. There's that. an implication at the end that he will c- kind of crawl well, out the of the hole. 
at the end is very free train spotting. He's choosing life, except it's not as cool because they don't know how to end it cool. So he doesn't get to do like the underworld thing and the, the rambling monologue. I mean, the movie probably would have done better if they had let him do like rambling monologues or at least like read. Like if you're doing a book that's written in the second person, it would have been better if you had had voiceover monologues. Because you're selling the story and the book more accurately. Yeah, and it's interesting that, um, you know, they don't really try to do, like, kind of like a subjective, like... Because, yeah, I know how to make a movie. This is what you should have done with your movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't have a degree in Well, that, no, but, so. like, if, you know, if they'd maybe gone for, like, kind of like a more subjective uh, POV, like, kind of jumping off from the, uh, the second yeah. person of the novel... Um, you know, because, I mean, if you look at a movie like Pi, which spends the entire movie in its protagonist's head. Oh, my goodness, it does. I love that. Um, or if they'd, you know, just kind of gotten a little bit grittier because, you know, you evoke train spotting, you know, as like a drug movie. And, you know, OK, like it was post Spike Mike Slackers and, and babies, Dykes. And baby puppets. It was, you know, train spotting was post, uh, you know, Sundance and Spike's Mike Slackers and Dykes. So, you know, they weren't afraid yeah. And, you know, it's a fucking... By then, they were letting, there was a new wave in film, and you got to let it all out again. Yeah, and it's an Irvine Welsh novel. It's about fucking heroin addicts. And they're not, it's a movie that's not afraid to literally go into a toilet. <laughs> like I said, the independent era, the independent filmmaking era of when this movie was made was like Joyce, uh, Joyce Chopra. Chopra. <laughs> that's like, that was be beyond the ground. Like, those movies were... It was hard to get a coming-of-age story... Mm -hmm about a teenage white woman funding. Like, can you imagine if like, you said that now? They're like, what do you mean you couldn't get a movie about a teenage girl's coming-of-age story funding? Yeah, there you go. But yeah, and so like, like um, you know, where you have like... There was no theme for it. There was no scene. There was no market. There was no There was no infrastructure for it. Yeah, there was... So they didn't it was very much before the, the great, like, 90s flowering of independent cinema. It just, you're <laughs> right. It just was not there. And... I'm gonna get you suck at exactly, on. and then you get a movie like this where, um, you know, unlike Train Spotting, which will go into the plumbing, um, this movie kind of lingers bashfully outside of toilet stalls. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's exactly what it does. Like you, there, there are shots of like what's going on in the stalls that we don't go in with them. Yeah, and I was like, I know J Mac went in. But the studios were like, we can't go in there, man. Yeah, and then, um, oh yeah, and then, you know, there were a couple of girls, like, making out in a bathroom stall. Which... And he didn't go in? He was like, no. <laughs> it's like, I no, um, it's true, because, um, and that's the feel, because the... Is that in the book, him not going into well, the stall? Well, the book does have, like, kind of a, a conservative feel to it, because it opens with the protagonist, like, at a club, and he's talking to... Now get this. Are you ready for this? He's uh -oh. talking. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a woman who's bald. Oh my goodness. Like, isn't that the most fucked up a thing ball. you've ever heard? I'm sure that they looked at that and thought again that would just be a big laugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a laugh right there. Because oh, yeah, they left that on the movie. Like he doesn't talk to like a punk chick. No, it's not there at all. It's all they're all just nondescript women That's with so like, funny. I mean, yeah. 
that is not that's in hilarious it. but yeah and then um there's a you know of course later in the book you know they're with these two chicks and they're doing because yes and... they, the punk scene was big in, in the 80s and there's not in the movie at yeah all. you know again you had freaky club kids and stuff but it's like yeah you know it's a little too weird those clubs are not in this will movie. it play in peoria no death the teary is not even in this movie of course yeah not. so yeah and um you know much as it happens in the movie, you know, they're they're hanging out with these two women and doing drugs, but oh my god, the two women sneak off into the stall to make out with each other. That's Again. insane. Yeah. Like Can't show that. And it's so Again, it is so quaint. And maybe for him, he did think that was it was it's too far for but you him. Know what? So that's like, why and that's yeah. what's that, and that's what's crazy about it. Like imagine a time when the idea of watching lesbians is a bridge too far for a straight man mm -hmm. yeah and now and now that's like all they want to put in the movie but that's kind of like how like but then i'm like let's you know we can get these guys to come see this movie let's put two women making out and then they're like no we can't we can only show that from behind the door they got to be behind the door doing that yeah we gotta like you know after effects people in there but um but yeah like but i remember this is a time when um because do you remember the time in american culture before it was okay to admit that you masturbated and looked at pornography oh yeah that was another i mean even john waters that was like a taboo thing like bringing up the existence of pornography and self-pleasure that was like a, a like a big like oh you can't put that in a movie yeah and kind of my indicator for that like the that doesn't exist the thing that makes me think of it is like there's a joke in a i think a, a joel era mystery science theater where um Crow makes a reference to a porno, and then he very hurriedly says, uh, not that I've ever seen one. And mm -hmm. can you imagine today that was an era. any guy saying, like, oh, I've never seen a porno? <laughs> like, it was the wrong... Like, what's wrong to you? You would just be laughing. That would, now, that would be the joke now. You'd be like, are you... Is that you would go into the bathroom and you would see the guy that's never seen porn. You'd be like, get behind the door, man. <laughs> that's just out. You're out there for me, man. You know, I went to the club last night. I did I did a rail. You know what I saw? I <laughs> guy. I ran... He does never seen porn. I ran into this fucking like, Mormon. Wow. <laughs> wow, man. It was wild. And then I got, like, a loaf of bread. <laughs> Like that would be your story that you, you ran into a guy that didn't see porn. Like that's it's insane. I now. gave my yeah. There's a as we know, there's a level of oversharing that is now just common. Yeah, it's just common now. Yeah, like everyone's oversharing to some point or talking to themselves in public, and it's okay, and it's fine because I was on the ground floor of talking to myself in public. So thank you everyone for catching up to <laughs> and me. And you know what the um where is the um kind of the the figure. At the time, the central figure was this. Um, oh my know, baby! Oh no! <laughs> no, it's a yeah. a character based on um, Jane McInerney. This is like a, a Romana clef about a young, <laughs> talented man in an urban environment, New York City. And what he really and... wanted, like, seemed like what he really wanted wasn't to. Even though I guess in real life he like I got to date models and party, and I got to see these celebrities, but. Really, I guess the point of the story and what his point is is he really did would just want that what this his wife mm -hmm. and their little domestic bliss, and she was like, "No, I'm I'm model, I'm going to Paris. What are you talking about?" Yeah, but but then he finds someone. So better. he did want to like settle down. But I guess that the equivalent the point of the story the the equivalent now like you wouldn't you wouldn't have this um kind of slightly you know like admittedly like hard partying but also slightly buttoned up in some ways like young white guy 
in New York City. Mm-hmm. What you would have now is like a, a Caroline Calloway or, yes. you know, some like white girl grifting in the big city. It's like that's the comparable yeah. figure. That they didn't have that then. Yeah, which they, they, yeah, you couldn't get. You could barely get this movie starring Michael J. Fox made. So you're not gonna get that they weren't. They wouldn't. They didn't tell those stories, and they didn't fund those stories. And no, they they hid them away. But really, this movie was just this. This novel was just optioned too soon. Yeah, it was really just. I mean the mute the sound whoever was a music supervisor for the soundtrack did an excellent job yeah. of getting some good eighties music in there. Cause like even I'm sure you could find like I mean, what was the bad example? We had Secret of My Success that so just had like or the like the Gene Wilder comedy that had like Stevie Wonder and the the pop song in it. Yeah. But a lot of eighties movies that just had regular ass music in the soundtrack, you're gonna get like vanity is in like that's not the other Phoebe Cates movie, Private School with Betsy Russell. It says like vanity songs. Like, that's badass. <laughs> this the shitty like teen sex comedy has like these raunchy, like outstanding, like porn funk songs that were on the radio on pop radio. Mm-hmm. Like they actually do give you a memory of what the eighties were really like and not it wasn't filtered through nostalgia. Like, this is what's going on. This is what people are doing. This is how they're doing it. And this is what they're consuming. Just from, like, the trash of the era. Mm-hmm. This isn't really the trash of the era. This is, like, a neatly folded tube of crest in a garbage can <laughs> of the era, I would say. Yeah. And to, to reference one of my favorite movie. Uh, it's it's trash, but it's not treated in the way it should be. Well, and it was supposed to, I mean, and... It was a literary prestige project that they just didn't yeah. know what to do with. It's like a hot novel. And so they filmed it like a prestige project, like this is the book that, I don't know, was there an ad campaign or were they just playing, because I was too young to know what how they promoted this movie. Was the ad campaign like songs from the soundtrack or was it Michael J. Fox they put up front? Or was it the club scenes? Because like what clips of this would you put in a commercial? Jesus, I could see them like putting in the ferret scene and like trying to sell it as like kind of wacky comedy because it's like, oh, it's Michael J. Fox, even though Michael J. Fox is probably yeah, I like really like the commercial for the movie was that Brian Ferry video. Yeah. And, but, and you know, Michael J. Fox, you know, want poor guy like wanted to like stretch his legs a little bit as an actor. Yeah, he hadn't done he hadn't done very much serious material and this was a chance for him. And this one didn't go well. I still say his other uh, drama is a better glimpse of Michael J. Fox as a serious actor, which was a year before, mm-hmm. which was Light of Day with Joan Jett. Oh, yeah. Jack That's Owen. a little bit of a cult one. Directed by Paul Schrader. Directed by the Schrades. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a good performance for him. Yeah. yeah. And they actually did let him be serious. And they did. They, he didn't, on the the cover of it he didn't get he didn't have to do like the goofy grin like he got to <laughs> do a serious stare to promote them. like i'm being serious this time guys I'm playing a working class guy you know trying trying to get this band together yeah. man yeah. We're, we're, we're we're it's just us it's just us against the world even our family doesn't support i mean they're yeah, yeah. we're they were that was really got to he got to show he got to show himself struggling mm-hmm. he got to show himself in like the character wasn't always a, a flattering portrayal of him. 
he wasn't like always just like the guy that yeah. got away with everything. Which he doesn't get away with in your bright lights, but he gets fired pretty early in the movie. Yeah. Did Which... you think it was weird how uh, upset they were that he got fired? Like he was a fuck up. They're like, <laughs> she can't do that. Like, yes, she you can be terminated for not doing your job well. That's what but it's that Michael means. J. Fox. Everybody just loves him. You just want to put yeah, him in they your were like, pocket. Who this man? Was that in the book that like that? Yeah, like that you well can't, you can't this to his, you his, or did just that character do it because she wanted to fuck no, yeah his, his co-workers are very concerned and um the Susie kurtz character in the movie like she's she, extremely motherly towards him like yeah all the, she time. the same age in the, in the book you feel like she's a little older like because character. he's he's in his 20s and they had their little romantic interlude because she just threw herself at him basically like come over when you're done doing whatever you're doing after. Well, it's funny because I don't think he's after they party, but he she was like, "Come over one night and you can like." No, well, I cry. feel like um, you're headed. It's definitely life. like it, and this is how it is in the book and the movie. Like, it definitely is maternal on her part, um, and he's the one who makes. So the, he tries to make a pass. He's the one who makes it. the pass, so like and then in the okay. book, she's like, "No, you don't want to do that." You know, she knows he's not like thinking clearly, and he's like taking something. Mm. But in the movie, Sweetie Curse was like, okay. <laughs> she kind of looked like, okay, hold on. <laughs> she, I mean, they, she said it the same way, but it just still was kind of like she had a little, I have to stop myself. Well, he's so, he's so cute. He's so, he's yeah. so little and cute, and you just want to mash And him. in the, I mean, it's, I don't know what J Max height is in real life, but in the movie, again, they kind of make it seem like he can't get a woman because he's sure. I mean, the women he talks to, like, look at him, like, with you? Ha, 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 and walk away because he's my little Michael J. Fox. And he finally meets Tracy Pollan, who's like, finally, a someone I have to stand on a step to to kiss. It's <laughs> even Phoebe Cates is taller than him. So, like, I don't, that's probably not in the book. And they just kind of, that's just how it happened to be because of the well, person I they think cast. That, but... um, I think that, um, the author uh, is a normal sized, an average sized yeah. man. But Tom Cruise <laughs> was casting as well, so the, I don't know if too. they would have kept that in the movie, or if they would have did the thing that they usually did in Tom Cruise movies, is just made the women seem shorter. Yeah, they just or the put same. them on Apple boxes or whatever. Yeah, I don't know if it actually if he had done the movie, if they would have if they would have kept, well, they probably would have kept that. And Michael J. Fox and Tracy Pollan, it's like that's just real life because they yeah they're the same. They got together they got shortly after or during the shooting of this movie and they've been together ever since they're still married yeah together and he was she was his girlfriend on family ties yep. so and that because yeah they actually knew each other from family ties and then i think they reconnected on the set so re who really got all the gash because her last name yeah, that's right she's yeah so it looks like because that's how cousins work is you have the exact same last name <laughs> uh, yeah it's yeah. whatever we didn't bring up the the boss that they're tormented by is Francis Sternhagen. Yes, Francis Sternhagen. Was Cliff Clavin's mother on Cheers. Yep. And she is very stern. Again, with this cast, they could have made a comedy. They could have made it zippy. Yeah. With Because these people know how to do light and breezy and funny, and they also know how to do serious. But it's also, I also feel like... The problem is, is they're also like, it's like, yeah, let's make it light, but also this is a deeply tragic story of a young, of a young man fucking up his life, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's also kind of like a, you know, the tone's just a little bit off. It is a, it's a, like, poor me, and this is why I'm torturing myself. It's, again, they didn't really 
understand the life of a 24-year-old. They just sort of filmed the life of a 24-year-old, but they didn't like go into what how he would be processing the world around him. Yeah, and it's so it's so stodgily staged. They processed and... the world for him. Yeah. Like, oh, you closed the bathroom door on that young man. I mean, it does it it does kind of make you wonder like what Joyce Chopra's approach was and if it was more character centered, if it mightn't have been more interesting. Yeah, they threw all the footage away. Yeah. And I'm sure I like they said they were filming a lot at night and they were filming a lot of probably like walking around the streets, which probably is what you do when you're coked out. <laughs> That's true. Going club hopping. Yeah. Is you walk the streets and you're wasted and you run into care. So I'm sure they were doing that either for even if it was just location scouting, like I'm sure there were, this is the eighties in New York. I'm sure there were guys wandering the streets, like yelling at people. <laughs> so that might've been research. Yeah. But well, it, it was thrown, it was uh, discarded by the film company. Yeah. And then for what? So it, it, <laughs> in place with this neatly folded tube of crest, like she probably was filming it in an actually trashy way. Yeah, and or at least in a more naturalistic way. Or at least, um, and and you know, she's working with her playwright husband. I would assume that they were also talking about character, mm -hmm. which is the other thing that they wrote was it was like an anti-Vietnam play that's mm. uh, well received. That's cool. Well, it was Medal of Honor Rag. It's a two-character play. Oh. It's a fictionalization of a tra uh, traumatized soldier black war hero and a white psychiatrist oh that sounds pretty cool yeah no it was very it's very well received it was a drama i'm, I'm you know i'm gonna give you the the theater nerd stuff <laughs> it, was, it was very well done it was um she produced it he wrote it it was his play and uh lloyd richards who famously was august wilson's uh director oh yeah collaborative partner was the director of the play that did very well huh Yes. Did a lot better than Bright Lights Big City, the musical. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> oh, Very boy. weird thing to musicalize, but whatever. Uh -huh. And I wonder if they had Kiss and Tell in it. Yeah, maybe they couldn't get the rights. It know? looks maybe. like they did not have the music. It looks like they wrote like songs. There's a song called Coma Baby. <laughs> Jesus. Fun by this Coma musical. Baby. Mom. Chuck Beaton and chorus. Yeah, so the it's there's no 80 songs in this. They actually This musical can't musical. be good. They wrote a musical. This can't be good. No. There's no way that's good. It 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 did horribly. I ate the French reprise. So that's him working on that French article. Yeah, he's blaming the French people for Blame his Canada. skills. Blame Canada. Yeah, like, like, dude, you're the one who put French on your resume. Like, yeah. fluent French. When you, you know, were that's what he did. Scam your way to this job. It's like I which... put jet ski on a resume once, like I rode a jet ski. So I'm a jet ski <laughs> expert. Like, what are you nice. going to say? Like, I, I know how to get on a jet ski and ride it. Uh, horseback riding, uh, stage combat, dialect. I mean, that's like saying like I I I could ride I ride a bike, a jet <laughs> bicycle. I did it. Can you, can you ride a horse? Actually, I can't ride a bike, so I couldn't put that. But I could put jet ski. What about a horse? I I've been on a horse and an elephant <laughs> when I was a kid, but you know oh, that's cool. Oh, you put elephant riding on your on the back of your headshot. Let's see. What else? Um, 
What else are we forgetting about this forgettable movie? The uh, career arc of Michael J. Fox after this, which was he just went back to family ties and back to... It really didn't hurt his career at all. But no, he never got to do another serious movie. I believe he never did another one. Well, he went. He pretty much went back to television. Because, like, when did he start doing Spin City? The early 90s. Yeah, so... And, and you know, got to make some more uh, Secret of My Success type movies. Yeah. Like All for Lover Money, which I've seen more times than I care to admit. <laughs> it was a big after afternoon HBO movie where he was the concierge who um, was tasked with um, babysitting some billionaire hotel guest girlfriend played by Gabrielle Anwar. And they fell in love. That's sweet. And uh, he also, of course, had a he was a concierge who could get anything in New York, but also he had a dream of opening his own hotel. So it's a success story where he gets the gets the girl and gets the money to start his hotel. You know, mm, these are very bourgeois stories in the Michael J., in the Michael J. Fox canon. Making it in New York was kind of his thing, and he did that. And he was like, he did Life of Mikey. Remember Life of Mikey? Oh, I do remember that. Where uh, we got the are you 666 on our forehead? Oh, Nathan Lane. I'm glad you made it out of that. He almost had an <laughs> awful career doing those bad comedies. We caught the two sixes just in time. Our but forehead. then he got the birdcage. Yes, he did all right. Did. Um, Cindy Lauper was in that? I never finished that movie. <laughs> like Mikey. He was a former child star in this sleazy talent agent who had to work with this uh child actor yeah i remember when that came out and uh he was in the the pencil test for cars also known as doc hollywood oh (laughs) that's right the the template yeah i was i was yeah i missed that discourse because i was not uh i didn't have access to the internet when cars (laughs) so i believe i wrote to tim isn't that uh, the plot of Doc Hollywood? And he's like, yeah, Paul showed me something on the internet that there's a thing going around where they're saying that it's stolen. Yeah, it was. It oh is, my the, God, that's it is the exact same plot. And I just said it as they're like, this is do- the plot of Doc Hollywood. I was like, yeah, that's no, all over the internet. I'm like, oh, the internet. <laughs> um, uh, Homer yeah, Bound. Like- I really like Homer Bound, The Incredible Journey. Oh, yeah. Wait, is he a voice in that or something? He was the voice of the uh, the smaller dog. Oh, the puppy dog. The puppy. Okay. It was him and Sally Field. Sally Field, bang. And Don Amici. Don Amici? Yeah. Wow. It was, it was late Don Amici. I'll say, yeah. Like, but uh... he did it. But mainly his, his bread and butter was uh, Spin City in the 90s. Residuals, baby. And he also was in the movie that kind of is an inspiration for Knives Out. Sort of. Which one? It's Greedy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about that. Where it was a fa- yeah, the family were waiting for the old their patriarch to die and who was going to get what. Right. And then, it's the um, silly version of Knives It's not as smart as Knives Out. And uh, listeners will recall that uh, Michael J. Fox did a favor to a colleague and appeared in Interstate 60 in did? 2002. Yeah, he's really he has a cameo right at the beginning as a as a awful executive on a car phone. But hey, favor is a favor. Well, you know, you can listen to the episodes because for whatever reason, uh, Tim and I did an incredibly deep dive on that movie to the point where we had to do... You did this? I didn't know you... 
You did an episode on Mr. 60? We did a massive two-parter. Is it a Patreon? Because I haven't listened to it. I think so. I'm a, I'm a Patreon subscriber and a four-time guest, and I have not listened to the Interstate 60 episode, so I'm, you know, I'm probably banned from this show from now on. I'm sorry. I didn't know that this has happened. I'll get into that one probably this week then. Oh, Amy Joe Johnson, that's why. It's always a reason. It's, it's, it makes perfect sense now. You didn't have to tell me why Amy Jo Johnson's in it. Of course, Tim saw that. You'll, you'll, um, if you do end up seeing the movie, you'll laugh so hard. Did he recommend that you watch this? Um, yeah, like it was his idea. Amy Jo Johnson. You didn't have to say no more. (laughs) I mean, she she looks good in it, but, um. That was her time, yeah. Oh, the other thing that he did, I guess, do you want to bring up the other things that Michael J. Fox did that were successful? Because he was Stuart Little. That's right. The third one was direct to DVD. He made three of those, and he was in all of them. He he was in the direct to DVD one too. Oh, yeah. He was oh, in shit. the direct to video Homeward Bound two Lost in San Francisco sequel. Wow. Well, Did come theaters. It said it was in. I never. This was in the theaters. Nineteen ninety six. Maybe for like a week. No, it said it made thirty two million dollars at the box office. Well, more fool me, I guess. In 1996, Tisha Campbell was in it? I don't know about this movie. Tress huh. McNeil was a voice. Carla Gugino, Adam Goldberg, Sinbad, Stephen Toblowski. Okay, I have to watch it now. If Stephen okay. Toblowski is in That's my Amy Jo Johnson. <laughs> Stephen Toblowski. <laughs> <laughs> they both look great. Oh, my goodness. Well, they're, they're obvious. They're voices. So Michael J. Fox did well, but he never did anything serious, really. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess his foray into serious acting was a little bit of a damp squib. I mean, Atlantis is kind of serious. <laughs> Seriously stupid. Compared to like Stuart Little and Greedy, it actually is a serious topic because it's an adventure movie. So it's more serious than the live action movies yeah, but he that's did. Like... It's but like, yeah, it's a Disney kid. It's a kids' adventure movie. It's so, yeah. dis. It's like Disney, like in a really like kind of low period. They were doing twenty. They tried to bring back their twenty thousand leagues under the sea style of storytelling, and it didn't go well. Well, yeah, like that's that went out with Tommy Kirk. I mean, yeah. nobody. If they tried to bring it back, it didn't work. But the pencil test, I stand by it. <laughs> I would watch it again. I would watch it again. You know, I guess we can say that uh, Michael J. Fox's career was fine. Um, as we all know, like, uh, he has uh, since been suffering from Parkinson's disease. I don't know how he's doing now, but it's progressive, so yeah. probably not well. I don't... Is he still working? I don't think he's... He just does, I like... I doubt he's He working. does voice work still. Does he? That's great. That's, um... I would not have expected that. He does do voice work, and he does a lot of uh, Parkinson's disease awareness. He has his own organization. He's done some auctions. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, so, yeah, he's still um, on the... Has he done TV work? He was on Designated Survivor for five episodes. Well, yeah, he's doing a lot. He's that Kiefer Sutherland, all, he's still getting all working with Olagash. Well, there you go. He's still getting... 
all. Like, um, is it Allegash? It's Allegash. They say Allegash in the movie, but it's funny or say Allegash. Allegash. He got. He got Allegash. He had a TV and a little show bit of the in the dick. Past, He had another sitcom in the in last decade that just passed. Did you know that? I did not know that. He had a Fox sitcom. Huh. Um, and it's about a man who was being diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and having to give up his career as a news anchor. Huh, well, so he actually got to play. That's good. He got to play himself. So I guess I have to retract what I said earlier. I assume that he wasn't doing well. Um, I he's, guess maybe he's still it's... working. Mainly voice work and and Parkinson's uh, benefit projects, but he is working. I mean, his sitcom's not on anymore. But... I mean, and Parkinson's will eventually rob you of your voice, correct? Yeah. Eventually, no, he's still, sad, but... still, he's still doing it. Well, good for he him. He still has a career. Yeah, that's good. Looks like voice mostly at this at this point. Well, he recovered from uh, Bright Lights, Big City. James Bridges did not, because then he just fucking died. He didn't do another movie, <laughs> and he wasn't that old. It seemed like the way we were presenting it, he was like an old, stodgy, eighty-year-old man with a corncob pipe. Oh, these kids are doing cocaine, but he was like. <laughs> 50s. So he was like in his early 50s. He made this movie. <laughs> but again, it's a generation gap. Like they, they made they you, you got old quicker back then. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Like it's... Michael J. Fox is way older than this man. He's a year older than the director of Bright Lights Big City was, and he's more. In, he did Phineas and Ferb people, so he's more in touch with the youth. Yeah. Than the director of Bright Lights Big City was with 25 year olds, and he was yep. like 52. 100%. I hate Phineas and Ferb, but Michael J. Fox was in it. Well, there you go. <laughs> get that, get I gotta get always, I'm always gonna work some music, some Carmichael show plugs, a sneakers reference, and uh, I don't like Phineas and Ferb in to your episodes. I don't know if I brought up Phineas and Ferb before, <laughs> but I know way too much about the last decade of Disney Channel programming. I'm sorry. Well, there you go. And we can talk about what he does when he's in, like, the scene that he wants to be a part of. And he does go to, like, try and win his what? Does he really try to go win her back or does he go there to yell at her? At I the think Taylor, it's a fashion show. Um, I think it's classic toxic masculinity. And uh, he just wants to make a fool of himself. Like, I mean, he thought he was going to do, like, a graduate come back to me thing. But he just makes an ass of himself. Well, yeah, he's not. Um, it's it's kind of it's it's definitely a nadir for him. He's not thinking clearly. Um, so he ends up getting thrown out of the Oscar de la Renta show. He just causes a scene and like no one takes his size. No impassioned plea. Take me back. He's just mean and nasty. And like, he, he's just, not. they actually did let Michael J. Fox get a little like tarnish his image a little bit by doing that scene. Cause it's embarrassing. Yeah. Like holler, just, like just, hollering at her and she's he not just even fails. looking at him. Just completely fails. And he gets thrown out. Yeah. And, um, look at him. She doesn't even acknowledge him. But it kind of and it kind of goes back to what I wanted to say before, like, is that um, he is because they have to keep him likable. And it's also Jay McInerney writing a story about himself. Yeah. So he's not going to be the true heel. I mean, the heel is really more like his like Tad Allagash, who is exactly. just kind of a he's superficial the, yeah. dick who likes to snort cocaine all the time. Which he also did. Well, but he's not going to put himself <laughs> in those shoes. No, I mean, he's like, well, I do cocaine, but I did it in like a, I did it in a nice way. I didn't go behind that. I didn't go behind that door where the women were kissing. 
I'm not like those guys. He's not like those guys. I mean, you can see he was one of the original. I'm not like those guys. Oh God! Yeah. Because he went in there with him. Like he's gonna. He went in there. He's like, yeah, I went in there. Yeah, he That's probably pretty did. much his stories. That's what they're like. And he's, and he's like, I went in there, and I was a dick to those women. Like he just didn't. He owned it. Who knows why Marla Hansen dumped him in real life? Yeah, <laughs> but as as to hear him tell it, he's not like those guys. Exactly, but I mean, I I, don't, I think that's pre- that's I say that's a pretty common quality for a lot of these like uh, semi autobiographical story. Like, um, it's th- this isn't like a James Elroy novel where he's it like, yeah, like I was so come out coming out smelling like a rose because it's my story. Yeah, it's not going to be like a James Elroy novel. It's like, yeah, I was breaking into women's houses and sniffing their panties. That's just how I spent my teen years. I don't know what to tell you. My mom fucking got killed. <laughs> like, no, it's 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 a little more genteel than that. Okay. No, um, just some wholesome kids that were looking for uh, what's the name of this movie again? They were looking for the bright lights and the big titties. <laughs> he didn't get any. T- Is there nudity in this movie? Like, why was this movie rated R? Was there nudity? Like the women, you didn't get to see the women kiss. There's not a scene. Is it because they did cocaine? Is that it? They don't really curse. It's it's got to be rated R for drug use and for a man in a dress. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) There's there's no nudity. Like the movie is so flat that they they got an R rating and they don't give you R content. I think that's why I never saw it. And also, my mom said the book was bad, so she didn't want to see it. But it's not, it's, you're going to see an R.A. movie, you're not going to see an R.A. movie. Did they curse? They had to have cursed. There was cursing, I mean. But like, as I said, what was that movie I said I was watching? Or Drop Dead Fred, where he said, yes. bitch, like 12 times in a row. I'm like, this is a PG movie. <laughs> or PG, either way, there's more cursing in Drop Dead Fred than in Bright Lights Big City. And, um. They don't say did... titties once. Drop Dead Fred has a lot more edge than this movie. Yeah, what does that take? Like, what if Michael J. Fox was in the back? We keep going back to the women making out in the back. Yeah, what does that taste like? <laughs> Bridget Fonda, no underwear. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a much edgier movie. Yeah, it is. Oh, Rick Mail, R.I.P. R.I.P. I love Rick Mail. So watch Drop Dead Fred. What other recommendations do we have for you? The Bright Lights Big City soundtrack is a, a definite reprimand. Recommend reprimand? Recommend. <laughs> it's a reprimand to the movie. Um, yes. Definitely recommend the soundtrack. I do recommend the book. I recommend about... Donald Fagan, but not this score. Yeah, listen to The Nightfly instead. Yeah, this is or, a good Or, you know, even Comicuriad is probably yeah. better if... Uh, equally soporific in my opinion i know there are comic curated apologists out there mm-hmm. but i'm definitely a nightfly gal yeah um, i have a new pop culture reference to add uh watch sherman showcase the ifc show about the uh the funk rock uh variety show oh nice yeah i have a sketch called uh there i have a commercial for an album uh called now that's what i call white music and it's like all the songs <laughs> that like you will like and they're like yeah natasha Bedingfield. yeah <laughs> Steely, Steely Dan, Asia, the whole album. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> it was all like those songs. Oh, God. That, like, so Vanessa true. Carlton, A Thousand Miles, and the Avril Leaves, <laughs> all that stuff, yeah. That's funny. So, well, yeah, Tom, yeah, I, I um, always got good plugs for you. I gotta say, the movie is free on several platforms. You don't even need to pay to watch it, if you're curious. 
can have it playing in the background. So it's like the way, I mean, I don't remember this movie even coming on TV when it was, you know, everything came on cable or played on television, especially things that flopped because they're going to squeeze every dime. They, they never aired this movie. I feel like people would be more into less than zero. Which is, a, it's, they filmed it right. Yeah. It's the same story and you get, it's, it's a lot edgier and the imagery is more jarring and yeah. it's appropriately. Like it, it knows where it is and what it looks like. Whereas this movie, really, the place that was filmed the most accurately was that dusty ass office where he had the fact checking job. Yeah, it that, really did it, seem like, like the an details were accurate there. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing my words. Is accurate a word? <laughs> accurate. <laughs> the setting is immaculate. <laughs> Immaculately accurate. Yeah, uh, we're accurate. not. We're not rhyming anymore. To, uh, <laughs> our filming is inaccurate, <laughs> except for when we're fact checking it. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! T- take us out with some uh, with some bars. We're not, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. <laughs> I, we're, I wasn't even gonna do an actual. I was doing like a, a bad joke of a free sauce. We're not doing that right now. But uh, yeah, the fact checking office was accurately presented as dusty and boring. Yeah, it looked it looked real shitty. I um, wish that uh, suit of armor had come to life. Yeah, the suit of armor, like which I guess represents like the hidebound environment of the. You're being pinned down what? by this oppressive, antiquated system. But if you're drunk enough, you don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, if it falls on you. And yeah, like what? we even know what happened to him after that. He just got pinned down and he ran in terror. We all know what happened to his character after that. Yeah, I guess it's just like, oh, haha, the alcoholic got crushed by a suit of armor. Yeah, but I, I guess I it's think... just embarrassing. I bet that's a good story to tell. I think it's just supposed to be comical. I don't think that the guy, I don't think he died of internal bleeding or anything. Um, I don't know if we, do we really kind of like touch on, I don't know if we touched on the themes of like, uh, you know, um, young writer trying to yeah i was like yeah it was uh, about like i said he wanted to work at the magazine but the only job he could get was at the boring place next door yeah and then there's like this established writer who's just a little bit of a joke and he didn't really have a plan to get in there other than the hound people like are there he just asked his boss who no she doesn't have jobs she's the supervisor at the fact checking division she doesn't have an end to the writer's room or whatever they had over there and she apparently hates his guts anyway so so you're you're not going to get recommended by her but he did just run into jason robards drunkenly i think that was him networking yeah because they do get he does get a lunch out of it like a 12 martini lunch So maybe, I mean, because he did get to write a book, maybe in real life he did, like, the guy got him in to write an essay for whatever mag, the New Yorker or New Yorker article, and that led to a publishing deal of his <laughs> Romana Clef. Well, yeah, he'll go to, to Hazelden or wherever, like, you know, clean up a little bit, like, you know, get therapy to deal with having <laughs> assisted his mom's death. But if he was really forward-thinking, he would have wrote a... a a fake uh, autobiography about him cleaning up in the rehab facility. <laughs> we're really, <laughs> we're really ahead of ourselves now. Oh yeah, that's right. It would have been a a, a million little razor blades. Big I don't titties. Know. <laughs> a million little big titties. 
Speaking <laughs> of big titty, it's I'm, it's still amazing that I really thought Amy Poehler was only going to be known for yelling big big titties at Deuce Bigelow, but look at her now. Good for her. She did. She made it. She did. And we can still enjoy her enjoy her yelling big big titties. For me, she's always like the um, the one camp counselor in Wet Hot American Summer. That she, she really did take that and run with it. The one who the one who just takes like uh, regional theater way too seriously. Yeah. She is a, she's so such a theater person. Oh my goodness. It was so yeah. Accurate. Every time I think about uh, maybe I should see what my local community theater is up to, I remember that character and go. Hmm. I also love when um, there's the there's the kid like doing the really offensive like stand up routine, just saying the n word, and then come <laughs> to Amy Poehler like turning to like. God, it's Bradley Cooper, I think. But she's turning yeah. him and she's all like, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Young Bradley. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, yeah. And that's the same, the same movie where uh, Bradley Cooper and Michael Ian Black have like sweaty gay sex. In mm-hmm. the <laughs> and I remember I saw that. I saw it at the plaza. Yeah, no, I, I worked like, there. when I, What year did that come out? Mm, we. Yeah, I either worked there or didn't, or I just stopped working there. But I could still get in all movies for free. We saw that there. I don't yeah. there anymore, and but I saw the movie there for free. I saw it there with like about ten other people, and I was the only one laughing my ass off the entire time. Oh yeah, it's very funny. You and got just, the right group of people though. I just remember in like the um like the gay sex scene, just kind of like the air went out of the theater a little bit because it was like so explicit. And I was like, I was, I was laughing because I was like, oh my God. Yeah. You got to see it with the right group of people. Just imagine James Bridges if he had seen that scene. Oh my God. I would have killed him right away. Where's the bathroom stall door? <laughs> Ooh, I can't bear to watch this. I don't know. It just seems like they were, she was so stodgy. This obscene decadence. This was like 52 years old. Yeah. It's like Bridget Fonda's 52 years old now. I'm like, she's not stodgy. She's, she's going to Coachella, baby. Woo! Good for her. Yeah, it's a different, it's a different, it's a different time, thankfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, nothing like the 80s is occurring again right now. And no. The, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.